Warning, the following episode of Orsini's Uncensored Mind contains explicit language and adult content. The thoughts and opinions stated on the show are reflective of A.J. Orsini and his guests exclusively. But seriously, guys, the show's called Uncensored. If you got a problem with bad language, I really don't give a shit. same exact specifically the same exact mother we check yeah. it every time for verification i would never lie to my audience he Some actually case. still is my brother deceive dave what's up bro what's going on oh, <clears throat> that's such a loaded question don't ask me that well it's, it's, there's so many layers is it though I or mean, was it us instant segue no it's, ooh, I don't, you gotta start first before you segue hold on we have to, you have to get underway no i come it's, in on a segue i'm coming in hot that's it that's a, that's such a loaded fucking question oh my god i there's no video to this right now it's just audio but my head is in my hand oh my god okay ah let's get all this underway so last week you and i did what was called Shooting the breeze, mm. as it was, right? I'm breeze. sure that went over well. <laughs> we were, we, we, we were, we were just having a nice personal conversation for 90 minutes or so, and uh, I felt like we got a lot of the home life stuff out of the way there. Don't really take a chance too often. Let the people, the people in. But this time, uh, this episode, I gotta, I got an update. An update on something that I haven't talked about on this show in quite a while. And it goes back, all the way back, to the hole. The hole Hmm. in the floor. Now, quick recap for those who may not have heard the previous episode of my floor exploits. Way back yonder at Christmas break, there was an issue with the heating in my building. And it was discovered quotation marks that a big problem of why the boiler in the building wasn't processing heat was because of bad piping ironically enough underneath my living room floor so they were like yeah we're gonna have to go in there and fix that which required them to break up my wooden floor dig into the gravel and the whatnot to redo literally cut off and reassemble new piping into the floor of my living room it was a whole ordeal took days to do Got pictures of it and everything. We spoke about it here on this show. As a matter of fact, you made the prediction that rewooding it would be quite the hassle. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, you have since that uh, since that episode been to my home and seen with your own eyes. Yep. The shoddy piece of shit work they did on this floor. Uh, as a quick update, or even quicker, I should say, the wood that they replaced on my floor has now risen. Ooh. It's now floating above the rest of the wood and has permanently damaged my pinky toe on my left foot on several occasions. Nice. Yes. It's like stubbing your toe in the middle of a living room. It's a very, very... But you're paying your rent in full, right? Oh, of course, yeah. yeah. Okay, 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 cool. That's all that matters. Yes, yeah, of course. That's all that matters. And and now I have an update on something else that is still tied to that floor. So as the rest of that story goes... There seems to be two groups of individuals who are responsible for the well-being of this building. One of which, naturally, of course, is the super, who is about as youthless, what did I say, youthless? About as Mm -hmm. useless as a screen door in a submarine, my friend. This guy is like a, what is that, a poopy-flavored lollipop. No one wants this fucking guy around. What a piece of shit. What a character. What a jackass. And... He's gotten more and more irritated over time since the last time we spoke about this moronic super we have in our fucking building. And so when it came to the floor situation, he was the one who knocked on my door. We got into a big tiff. So I I switched allegiances to the other group because the other group seems to have their shit together. I won't reveal names, but it, it I like the other side of the coin. The guy actually who won who did the floor is part of that group of what I'm talking about. Now, granted, this wasn't the best job on a wooden floor I've ever seen, but he's far much more pleasant to deal with than the fucking super, and to be honest with you, that floor is not my issue. Mm -hmm. I live in a co-op apartment that I do not own. I'm still renting. So it's not really my floor, so I don't really give a fuck about how that floor comes out. Because about a year or two, I'm fucking flying the coop regard. So I don't really give a shit. Their issue, not mine. As long as it's safe and that my son's not going to fall into a hole in the ground and commence into the center of the earth, I should be straight. So I didn't I didn't really care. We've left it at that. As a matter of fact, it was so much bla- bad blood and animosity built up towards that floor. And even to this day, what are we, in April? Uh, we can't even pass the super in the hallway without ignoring him. It's like the weirdest fucking thing ever. Like, and we're not even the only ones. With the new recent update revolving around my apartment and that fucking hole, he's out of nowhere. About a week, not even a week. When was WrestleMania? Beginning of April. So actually, now that I think about it, about a month, because I think today is May 1st. About a month, because it was the weekend of WrestleMania. My wife and I are sleeping. Not air quotations. We actually were sleeping. This is the middle of the night. My son's asleep. We're asleep. And all of a sudden, we hear this loud clanking sound. Loud. Like, it woke us up. So we were looking around. What the fuck was that? Of course, as the man of the house, I have to now get up from my bed to go see what that noise was. And, of course, you have to go kill whatever that noise was. Yeah, so naturally speaking, I got up. And as the man of the house, I immediately sent my wife to go see what the sound was. Duh. You know, I'm not trying to get killed for these motherfuckers in here. I don't love them that much. So I was like, you got to go figure that out because your life is worth less than mine. And she was mm. like, you're right. And then she went and she put like a colander over her head for a helmet or something. I don't know. So she, so we both went and we couldn't see nothing. There's no windows open, no doors, or nothing. There's nothing going on in the house. So we're like, all right. 
that's crazy. We I know we heard a sound, so we just kind of chalked it up to maybe it was something in the hallway. So we said, all right, let's go back to bed. We went to bed. In the morning, my son brushes his teeth. So my son went to the bathroom, and he brushes his teeth, and he sees something odd, and he comes into the into our bedroom, and he says, there's a hole in the bathroom wall. I <laughs> said, wait, what? So we got up. So apparently, in my bathroom, there the whole bathroom isn't tiled. For some reason, only the bathtub area is tiled. And so it's like it's not like a whole room thing. It's a specific area that's tiled, and apparently, two tiles, completely intact, by the way, didn't even shatter. Two tiles from that bathroom, the two closest tile to where the faucet is, has fall had fallen down into the tub. Mm. So and it, when it hit the tub, that was the sound that we heard, but it didn't even break. It's still intact. Two two squares. I gotta say maybe eight by eight. Perfect squares. And they like porcelain or whatever the fuck material. And it fell and it fell off the wall. So we could I mean we can't see into the wall. The tile itself was like matted to some shit. But it's missing tile. It just looks gross and you can see it, right? So we're like, this is fucked up. And I remember from the floor when we were dealing with that situation and me not wanting to deal with the super because he's a piece of shit. Right, the right. people from the other side of the group said, listen, from now on, because I guess he must have complained too, whenever you got an issue with your apartment, don't even bother with the super, come to us. So I said, bet, no problem. Avoid the super, I'm with it. So naturally, I got two tiles that fell out of my wall, so I start sending those guys text messages. No reply. So my wife calls while she's at work. They said, oh, no problem. I'll send my guy over there to come take a look at it, see if we could put the tiles back in so it looks, you know, natural or whatever. So I said, okay, cool. Day, two days, a week, because we got busy. We forgot. It was like, okay, what's up with the guy? Oh, I, I spoke to him. He should be coming soon. Okay, so we have the other guy's number. So my wife did her part, I guess. She felt that was enough. So now it's me to be like, all right, now I got to get this guy to get to my house. So I'm texting him. I'm calling him. Nothing. No sold. Almost two weeks. No sold. Last week, he finally gets in touch with me. And he calls me on the phone and we're talking. And basically what he tells me is he stopped working on the building somewhere right after WrestleMania. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what happened? Apparently, when him and his team came in to fix my floor, he put in a work order for the building to pay for the supplies, the maintenance, and for the labor of the floor. And here we are. That, that happened around Christmas. Here we are in April. They haven't paid him. He hasn't been paid for the work. <laughs> so he stopped fucking coming. Now he I mean, didn't, he didn't even do it immediately. He said I around <laughs> April when I realized that this these fucking people weren't going to pay, we just we, so they did 2 months of more labor after my floor and was not paid for it. So he was like I got to stop at some point. I can't keep giving them free labor and I was like I understand that. I'm with you. It was a part of me that was like go get them. But then I was like wait, I have a hole in my kit, my fucking bathroom. Wait a second. Come help me and then go get them. Wait a second. So, he hasn't been paid for the floor yet. So, this was last week. So, the reason why I added it to today's show is because just the other day, we happened, my son and I, we happened to be coming from the store, and he 
was in his truck in our parking lot. Mm-hmm. I was stunned. Mr. I haven't been paid yet. I was like, hey, what's going on? And he was like, hey, just got the word yesterday um, that the work orders and everything were being taken care of. Their people are talking to our people. And I was advised by my people to say, hey, you can resume work. We're going to get the money. It's coming. Da, 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 da. Apparently, they had already made a few installments on payment. So he was like, so I'm, I'm going to be uh, back and fixing things. I was like, great, fantastic. You know, don't forget about my tub. He was like, yeah, no problem, no problem. No, I'm definitely going to hit you up and let you know. Da, 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 da. Apparently, all of the work, remember I told you my floor was rising. All of the work that he had done, not only did he not finish the work that he was supposed to do, but some of the work that he did has to be redone. And I was like, oh, Lord. So what does it look like? Ah, I'm probably going to get to it in about a week or two. And then I spoke to his boss. And it's, what are we in? Going to be hitting May? Looks like this is going to be a summer project. And in the meanwhile, a third tile has fallen. Mm. So I'm like, I talked to the guy. And I was like, it's turning in. It looks like a spot. But now it's turning into a whole row. So I don't know what your deal is. Again, I'm not going to push the issues. not my fucking bathroom. I mean, I got to bathe in it, but, I mean, it's cleaned up. It's just the hole. That's it. So I was like, I'm not fucking with this. So to your point before about people getting their shit together in this building, they're seemingly still at war, and my bathroom's paying the price. So I was like, I guess I'll keep you guys abreast as to where we go from here. But I got an Operation Hole in my bathroom. It went from Operation Hole in my floor to Hole in my bathroom now. This place is falling apart. Yeah, oh. sounds about right to me. Jesus fuck. But you're paying in full, right? But Yeah, exactly. Okay, all right, that's good. As long as that, uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that element of it is the only reason I'm telling you that of all the issues that are taking place regarding the maintenance to this apartment... We're the only ones not really in the conversation because, as you just said, it was, it's not like we're behind on anything. So hmm. whenever the building has an issue with something that needs to be maintenance, the conversation never gets steered towards us because we've, nope. we've paid everything we're supposed to pay and we've made ourselves available for repairs on multiple occasions. And it's, you're not complaining. It's Yeah, and I'm not complaining. And it's, so it's really the whole burden and everything. Ten another year guy. that'll that'll never get the reward, yeah. dude. And Damn. The, the other group and this fucking super. That's why. But to be fair, and I told my wife this. I said it's the only reason I think that they're listening about the complaints on this super. Because if we were, if we were talking shit about this super and our ducks weren't in a row, we would just be ignored. But because us and a few other people in this building that I know about who have their shit together are all pointing fingers, clocks ticking. Even the guy in the other group here is just like, yeah, they're pretty much done with his ass. I was like, well, pretty much be done sooner. Yeah. Because it's, it's taking, it's, it's, it's like this little seed of just negativity in the middle of everything. I don't think any of this, I, I think uh, the guy told me that one of the biggest reasons that he wasn't paid for anything is apparently the super wasn't putting in the work orders. He was just like, nah, fuck that guy. He was putting in the stuff for his people. Like, for <clears> instance, <throat> the, uh, the repair that this guy didn't get paid for was filling the hole. He didn't change the pipe. That was another team. And it was the Supers guys. And those guys got paid in January. 
but this guy filled the hole and his work over work order didn't get put through. I told the, I told I said, see, he's playing games. He's playing games. He's he's doing shit out of spite. That shit is on purpose. If you got two sets of paperwork at the same time and you only file one, that's playing games. I'm sorry. He he's he's just jerking you around. I don't understand. So that is what it is. I'll keep people updated because if that's the case and I'm not gonna keep sitting here. I get it, it's not my fucking top. Now when it starts becoming an issue with my family, like if multiple tiles now it's a giant fucking problem, like a whole missing wall at some point, and we got an issue. And that's where courts are going to start getting involved because I can't keep doing this shit with people. Because mm. like I said, I have every documentation that proves that not only am I paying, I'm paying on time. And I got a fucking hole. I got pictures and videos of both my floor and my fucking bathroom. So I was Listen, like, I'm, I'm I hear gonna, you. I'm going to end up owning this motherfucker in a little bit. Nah, you probably won't, but that's okay. <laughs> nah. Oh, man. Fucking hate hey, you. that shit triggers me, man. I fucking hate you hearing stuff like that. Yep. Hey, look, man, I'm patient. You can leave it like that, but let me get 10%. Yeah. <laughs> Something for my patience. Yeah, absolutely. How about that? How about that? Okay. Uh, that's an update on that. Uh, really quickly before we steer into some of the stuff that we've got planned for this episode here, I would just like to let everyone know, give everybody a chance here. You're a one-stop shop. I made it simple. I made it easy for everybody out there. You're one-stop shop. One link. One link. Just like there was one link in one Zelda. It's just the one fucking link. And no, the, the fucking... The the person in the green outfit is not fucking Zelda. It's Link. And I gave you one fucking Link. It's a one-stop shop to all things Orsini's Uncensored Mind. Want to get merch? You want to get different platforms in which you can listen to the show? You want to get more in touch with the show and follow it on social media? All that stuff. We can sit here and pitch all goddamn day. But the bottom line is it's a one-stop shop. One Link. It's all you need. Of course, Linktree is the one hooking us up here. www.linktr dot ee backslash ajoum that is a one-stop source for all things orsini's uncensored mind you can head over to the merch store which is at ajoum.com where you can get shirts you can get beach towels question mark all kinds of stuff you can get cups you can get blankets you can get canvas art i don't know why you would but if you were into that sort of thing you could it's on the table i mean i do it i make time for it it's on there you can go ahead and get yourself some merchandise there, all with the original and comic book version of the show's logo. Of course, exclusive Deceive Dave merchandise. Respect and support the co-host as well, folks. All you need to do again, www.linktree, but tr.ee, backslash A-J-O-U-M. Now, this weekend, it's pretty big, bro. Mm, it looks pretty big. I didn't even know it was upon us. Oh yeah, your your moment of truth is here. The good doctor is returning to the world this Friday. You've been waiting for it. You've been talking this, about it. This, this is the it. one. This, this the one. What am I missing? What am I missing the, before this? The bloodline. This I saw bloodline. all the Spider Mans. So okay. so what am I missing before this? Before the uh, the What If series. Oh wait, that's it. I think that's the only thing really necessary to connect you to this, yeah. 
Oh, I thought that was supposed to be just like for funsies. For funsies. That's what they told the world. And then they made it canon. <laughs> now, <clears throat> yeah, so it looks like based on the trailer, a lot of what if references, a lot of what if live action uh, playing into the multiverse deal here with Doctor Strange. And of course, we're talking about Marvel's upcoming film, Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness. The, as Kevin Feige described it the avenger level type film that will shape and shake the mcu moving forward this is the one this is where this is the movie they chose to put all their eggs in their basket for those of you who missed it we had CinemaCon 2022 come by and kevin feige and his people again came in representation of disney not just marvel but they came, and this is normally the time where he starts laying out shit. Okay, this is how Phase 5 is going to look. And he's got title screens, and he's got dates, and that's what he usually does. Uh, did not do that this year, because in his own words, I can't. Because <laughs> it's not May 7th. May 6th is when Doctor Strange comes out, and I can't tell you what's happening moving forward until you see this movie. This is how much they're putting into this Doctor Strange thing. They can't even reveal what might happen down the line. Everything in the MCU right now relies on this fucking film. Boy, the pressure's on. May 6th, Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness. I can't wait. I'm excited. This is going to be dope. Please tell me you're planning on seeing this at some point. Yeah, obviously not release day. Fuck that. But I want to watch. I'll watch it probably the week after or something like that. Even then, it's still going to be fucking jam packed. So we'll see what happens. But yeah, I'm I'm planning on seeing it. Uh, not this weekend. Yeah, uh, next weekend. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, we uh, what you call it? Um, this uh tomorrow actually, uh, is the birthday of Mrs. O. She turns the ripe old age of thirty-seven. Uh, I've no, I've been with Steph since she was eighteen, and she's turning thirty-seven. Thirty-seven. She's turning thirty-seven. And uh, yeah, I did not think she was. Wow. Okay. Yeah, no, old, right? That's what I'm saying. Uh, she, I when I first got her, she had. That, <laughs> when I first you know, got her, she first was. Got her, she had that fresh new, off the lot. Oh man, still had that new female smell. Like Ooh. straight off the shelf. Mm. practically unused and and ready to go and uh, just waiting for strapping young man right, to scoop her right for the picking that's right and i've been picking the fuck out of it for 30, <laughs> 37 years now, now it's got the grease from all your yeah. fingers on it <laughs> ew yeah i know it's definitely used now i've been playing with it for 19 years if i put it back on the shelf now the value is in the ground <laughs> i know i ran this i ran this bottle to the ground <laughs> yeah there's nothing there's no tread on them tires left i didn't warn this shit out so now i just gotta put it back on i told her already i said if anything happens to us i'm going asian next that's my retirement pussy i'm going asian uh of course in my golden years you got to get something more docile, a little lower speed. I've been dealing with Latina for forever. I need to slow it down toward my... <laughs> I've been dealing with Latina yeah, yeah, for so I've, I've put in my work order. I'm going to go Asian on my way out. That's my favorite That's my favorite part of of being around Hispanic women my entire life. So when you go into the real world and they start getting rowdy and they look at you and they're like, hey, man, sorry about that. Sometimes I'm like, bro, listen, 
I they, it was a drop in the bucket, buddy. You, yeah. <laughs> your attitude that does not. First of all, my give a fuck levels are to the ground. But even if I did care, trust me, you're not nearly as gress- as aggressive as the people I've dealt with my entire life. Don't worry about it. You're fine. What drives me nuts is the Spanish females that feel like their attitude is something special. Like the rest of these, like the rest of these Latinas don't do the bullshit you do. It's like, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm just being me. No, you're being what everybody else is. You're not being special or unique at all. All of you have fucking attitude issues. It's just stuff. aggressive. Yeah, there's it. nothing special about what it is you're fucking doing. But I digress. Uh, it's the birthday tomorrow. So we got a bunch of plans over the weekend. So I will not be seeing it release day weekend either. I don't think you should. I don't know. I, I don't. Maybe for you, it'll be a lot harder for you to stay away from spoilers. But you don't care about spoilers. No, I will be seeking them out. I'm pretty sure. I know because I'm you're pretty sure by Thursday, you're a fucking psychopath. Before, yeah, the day before Doctor Strange, I'm probably gonna know everything there is to know about what happened to that movie. Yeah, you're a fucking lunatic. <laughs> I don't know how you do it. Uh, I've been getting fairly lucky where things I haven't seen, I don't get any of the spoilers. So. Hopefully nothing stupid happens because I do. I would like to see it and uh, kind of just witness it without. Just go with the ride, you know. And you just want to go for the ride, you know, and be thoroughly. I was looking forward from this one ever since they announced the original or the well, fuck. since since the uh, since the last movie. To be honest with you, I've been I've been ready for the next one, so I'm excited. I saw the preview; it looks good. Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to go for this one, man. I'm actually excited for it. So, okay, so let's talk a little bit about what we've seen. They've done a very good job at the beginning of this of not really releasing a lot of information in the beginning. And then toward the end, it felt like they just started throwing up all kinds of fucking different information. So there's going to be some brand new characters revealed here and debuting in this film, some of which are some of the most powerful in the Marvel Universe and comic books. Uh, today, as of what, as an example of one of them, America Chavez will finally be making her uh, MCU debut. Super strength has the ability to do a little time travel. We'll, we'll divulge more into that. I don't know if they're going to debut all that right away. They'll probably give us little skims, little pieces of what she can actually do. We'll see. A uh, little controversy already fighting, fighting already surrounding this film. Mm. considering our good folks over at Saudi Arabia not happy again about all this gay shit. Uh, they're not happy. They're like, hey, man, what's with the what's with the lesbian? Because America Chavez is indeed full-blown lesbian. And Saudi Arabia is like, can you chill with the gay shit? And Marvel said, nah. <laughs> she gonna stay gay. It's not even what? an issue. I don't understand. What What do you mean? What, what do you mean they're not? I don't get it. Well, Saudi Arabia has this thing, you know. They kind of hate gay people. That's fine. I understand yeah, okay. their so stance. What I'm saying is, why are they? What what input would they have on this movie? I don't get it. None. But they uh, have the opinion that, you know, if they say edit that part out, then Disney will just go sure. Why not? Well, do I they have they- ownership? Like, do they have some? Apparently, Saudi Arabia feels that they're just as important as China because China does that to Disney all the time. Hey, can you edit this out? And they go, sure. So Saudi no. Arabia goes, hey, you got some gay shit on here. We don't fuck with all that. Can but you edit that out? It. That's what we said. But at the same time, they said, well, can you edit it out? And they were like, no. nah. 
because China has done that in the past. They go, hey, we'd like to air this movie Well, come on, guys. Let's elephant in the room. Let's not pretend that China's kind of different. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I agree with you, and so does Disney. That's why it would like, oh, yeah, China, no problem. And then Saudi Arabia goes, yeah, can you edit for me too? Nah, no. You ever, you ever seen the biggest, baddest dude in high school? Nobody fucks with him. Nobody fucks with him. This dude is a G. He beats everybody to fuck up. That's America walking into the party. Yet that one guy has respect for one guy and he daps him up all the time and he never has beef with that guy because you got you be like, yo, that guy, as tough as that dude is, that guy will be the only one that gives him a run for his money. That's China. So they they go dap each other up when they see each other. Oh, you don't like that? I got you, fam. Don't worry about it. No, no, no. No, I got you. I got you. No, I'll edit it. It's not a big deal. <laughs> yeah, no problem. No problem. Sorry, Arabia, come on. It's yeah. like, who the fuck you get away from me? Fucking jump at him. Get yeah, out of so here. He's like, can I get an edit too? No, fuck you. What the fuck is your problem? Why are you? Who told you you can speak to yeah, me, my why, G? Why are you here, bro? What the fuck? So, That's yeah, funny. that was a little bit of controversy. They were like, yeah, we want you to edit. It wasn't even an issue of we're just going to ban it and move on. They actually went But is that some Disney. new shit or has that character not, always been like that? No, not the first time that Saudi Arabia has done this. No, that, no, 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 no. Was... I mean the character. Is the character, no, that character being always gay. been gay or is yeah, this some new gay, shit? Being gay since day one, baby. So back before it was cool, this character was gay. Oh, yeah. Well, remember, this character is also fairly new. Has it this character was created maybe like what six seven years ago, like it's it's one of the most she's one of the most popular characters in comics today, but she's fairly new, just like Ms. Marvel, fairly new. And so it's it's thirteen, but that's what I think something like that. Hold on, let me pull up the official year here. It's a, I just uh, they hit the old Google machine September of two thousand eleven. Character's been around for eleven years. There it is. America Chavez first appeared in Vengeance number one in September 2011, where she became the second character to take on the code name of Miss America. That was her comic name, Miss America. She later starred in her own series titled America in 2017, where she was best known for her appearances in the Young Avengers. She's a Young Avenger. And there you go. The second character to use the moniker of Miss America. So yeah, and she's a part of the Earth six one six family. So she's she's with the big boys. So we're gonna see how she gets pulled off here in this film. She debuts here with. Uh, wait, as a matter of fact, let me pull this back up because this also steers into what I was gonna talk about before about her actual abilities. I was naming things off the top of my head, but if it's right here. I will go. Here we go. Chavez possesses superhuman strength and durability and the power of flight. She can fly. Oh. Chavez also has the power to kick open star-shaped holes in reality, allowing her and her teammates to travel through the multiverse into her other realities. She can move at superhuman speeds since she is able to catch up to nearly she has the since she is able to catch up to and nearly exceed the speed of light as observed by Spectrum in her light form, which will also be in the Miss Marvel films, by the way. Uh, that's where Monica Rambeau became. Chavez has developed the ability to make an enemy burst into tiny star fragments with a punch. In moments of extreme duress, she has been shown to project a large star that releases a powerful energy blast capable of injuring the likes of Captain Marvel. She's a badass, is what we're trying to say. And she does it with flair. because everything- Where the fuck did she get this? These abilities? 
Yeah. That's a good fucking question. Let's see here. And why is she taking on the Captain America EU version persona if she's shooting rays of lights and teleporting? America Chavez believes she was raised by her mothers in the utopian parallel, a reality that is out of time and in the presence of the being known as the Demiroge, I can't pronounce that, whose presence was credited with imbuing her with superpowers. There you go. She was given her powers. How about no. that? In her memory, when Chavez was approximately six years old, the utopian parallel was threatened by destruction. Chavez's mother sacrificed themselves to seal the black holes, resulting in their particles being smeared across the multiverse itself. Wanting to prove herself as a hero and knowing Utopia didn't require salvation, Chavez ran away from her home and her responsibilities. She traveled across different realities, eventually adopted the moniker of Miss America, and began covertly acting as a superhero. I like how she dipped on her people and they're still calling her a fucking superhero. That's... I mean, it gets dark, I guess, at that point. We'll figure uh, all that out. You know, she had to take care of her mental health, you know. Uh, there you go. It's all about mental health these days. Gotta, speaking, yeah, yeah, yeah. speaking of mental health, Wanda's back. Uh, she plays a central figure in this fucking film. We get to see her kids again in the film. And we get to see her in all of her newfound superpower glory with the new outfit and doing some crazy shit. Uh, and in the trailer... We got to see, not the first trailer, the first trailer ends with What If's version of Doctor Strange. And I I described that scenario to you, what happened in What If. But now, as the trailers have gone through, we have now seen Zombie Wanda, who was quite the problem in What If, as the kids would say. She's a problem. All right, (laughs) Wanda is powerful as it is. Zombie Wanda uh, was kind of maniac and we get to see her in this film now live action elizabeth olsen wearing the makeup that's dope but then in this recent trailer that was released we got to see something else from the what if series and this is the one that has got people talking we got to see the british shield of captain carter and boy, let me tell you, if they start going down this path, it's going okay. To so then rules. I'm looking at some. I mix two people up. Then never mind, because I don't know who that person is. Captain Carter. Yeah, it's Peggy. Peggy, in the What If series, they did an episode where what happened if Peggy got the serum instead of Steve, and she became a super soldier, and of course she's got a British flag on her shield because she's fucking British. And she was a super soldier, and she fought off the bad guys. And Steve being Steve, Steve didn't want to just sit on the sidelines, but he couldn't take the serum for whatever reason. I forgot what it was. So Howard Stark began to come up with a system very similar to the Iron Man suit, but the original one, the big bulky one. And they gave that to Steve to operate, so she, he still became a superhero, but he wasn't a super soldier. He just had a mech suit, which was this big bulky shit. And Captain Carter, her story ended up being a lot like Steve to where, like, she was trying really hard to make sure he didn't die in the process. And then she got sucked into some sort of multiverse deal and got separated from Steve. So her story, when they finally won in the end at What If, is everybody got to go back to their timelines, but she asked to go back to a timeline where Steve still existed. Because I think he dies in her in her. 
uh, timeline. And I don't know if we ever got a chance to see what happened after that. So here we are again, live action, Doctor Strange. We see the bad Doctor Strange. We see Zombie Wanda. And now we've got Captain Carter. But here's the deal. In this verse, there's no Steve. So I don't know if she was brought here intentionally or she's here through other some other per, uh, purposes. We'll see how the movie pans out. But to see Super Soldier Haley Atwell, I hope it's Haley. Oh dear God! Don't tell me you're bringing in a Peggy that's not Haley Atwell. But it's got to be—it's got to be Haley. It would be the last time we saw her was nuzzled up to old Cap at the end of Endgame. If we get to see badass Peggy with the shield and the shit she was doing on that show, uh, I'm excited. Color, color me excited for what's about to go down for this film. So that was another piece that came through the trailer that people were talking about, and of course. We got to talk about the villain just a smidge. So they're using the name Gargantos. And I think I sent you the information on the rundown mm-hmm. that in the comic book and in subsequent other media, video games and T-shirts and whatever the fuck, the main character here, Gargantos, his name in the comics and everything else was Shumagara. He was that octopus-looking guy in the video game, Marvel vs. Camcon. For mm-hmm. some reason, whenever I tell people Shumagara, they go, who the fuck is that? And yes. I go, you remember the octopus from Marvel? Oh, I remember that guy. Okay. Yes. Yeah, okay. Instant pop. Instant pop, right. They're like, wait, he's in the movie? Yes, he's one of the main bad guys. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask you. Is he going to be fodder or is he like actually? No, he's, they already released a clip of the battle. I, I saw that. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, he's going to be a big guy. He's going to be okay. a big He's going to be a big influence here because his character also goes between the multiverse. Well, that's what I was going to ask. What's his like? Like, I know him from the game. I My first introduction right. to him was I'll never forget it. We were in Maine. Uh, we went to that arcade in the mall that I used to always ask to go to. Yes. And yes. they had they had Marvel versus Capcom. Marvel and for I Capcom. would love to play him. And I'd love to play uh, Mega Man. Those were my two characters that I like to play. Actually, was he was in Marvel vs. Capcom, I thought. He was. I'm pretty sure. I remember playing. I don't know if it was that one or two. I'm pretty sure it was the first one. And, uh, yeah, that was my introduction to him. So I have really no clue, like, what his relevance is in Capcom. As far as I understood, he was just a character created for the game. No. No, very much a comic character. Uh, always a villain. As a matter of fact, I just looked it up here. Sumagaroth is an ancient force of chaos, the immortal, nigh invincible, and godlike ruler of nearly a hundred alternate universes, capable of energy projection, shape shifting, teleportation, levitation, altering reality, and sympathic magic. Sounds to me like the perfect villain for Doctor Strange. Exactly. Many other feats. <laughs> Uh, among many other feats, he is described as being vastly more powerful than other mighty demonic enemies such as Satanish and Mephisto. It is capable of automatically destroying multiple galaxies through aura pressure alone. Uh, kind of a badass then. How about that? Kind of a badass. <laughs> so yeah, we're going to figure out what his role in all of this is. Uh, another piece of the trailer that we have discovered now is that Doctor Strange will face the Illuminati uh, in this film. They actually use the phrase, the Illuminati will see you now. Uh, that's odd because Doctor Strange is a card-carrying member of the Illuminati. And I guess we'll figure out 
what his role in all of that will be. The Illuminati, obviously, the best brains, the best minds. Well, if he is, Marvel. I would imagine this would. I would. I would imagine at this point in the movies, he he currently isn't. No, but maybe this is his introduction because of what happens here. Yeah, he will be, you know, put into that group because it's had, of this stuff. Yeah, Illuminati's had a lot of members in it. But the core members, the members that I grew up on, Professor X, Iron Man, Black Bolt, Doctor Strange, Reed Richards, and Neymar. So we're finally getting X-Men, huh? Uh, little by little. And as a matter of fact, brings me to my next point, the one that everyone creamed their pants about, can't shut up enough. The yellow fucking chair. Mm. Now, here's the deal. We've seen many X-Men movies, many of them. Mm. And uh, they've done a really good job, I guess you could say, in trying their best to connect the comics to the uh, to the movies. But the comics aren't the only source. A lot of people used to take liberties with these entities. And it's so hilarious because Fox Kids is one of the most famous examples of that with their cartoon animated show from the early 90s, The X-Men. Mm. And in that show, Professor X used to have this floating, levitating wheelchair that was bright-ass fucking yellow Yep. with his fucking doo-doo brown suit he used to wear all the time. And that chair, although famous for being on that show, was never used in the live-action features. They've either had him in an actual fucking regular-ass wheelchair or that other levitating thing that was a little bit more, you know, sleeker, you know, silver or black or whatever the fuck. They've never gotten the bright yellow route before. Well, in true fucking Mark fashion, here's the MCU putting his ass in a yellow chair, which might confirm now what everyone was hoping for, and that's if we did get an X-Men movie, can we get the song? Gotta have the song, right? They did it for Spider-Man. <clears throat> They brought that song back. Now people are saying, bro, you got to get the song. We need the song. We need the outfits. We need the fucking X-Men do it right. This might be an indication that there might be leaning a little bit more towards doing something different with the X-Men. And that's that would be nice. No, something yellow, well, if you got yellow chair, you probably you could probably get yellow suit Wolverine. Ooh, boy, can I get a Wolverine with a fucking cowl? Just just give me the cowl. Just give me the helmet or whatever the fuck with the little pointy. I would love that. Have them do X Men Justice, man. Just just <laughs> just give me a good Nightcrawler and a good uh, Gambit. Oh, Those man. were my two favorite. Oh, a good Gambit. Man, just give me a good gambit with a man. staff, and with protective shin and knee. knee with gear. this, with this budget, <laughs> with this budget, exactly. Oh, oh and I, I would mean, be hard for that. Like I, I lost my. Like, aside from like those first ones, um, that you like took me to. I, re- I remember. Se- I remember seeing. And if I, correct me if I'm incorrect, if my memories are fucked up, but I remember seeing an X Men movie, uh, in. Connecticut. Remember, remember the uh, thing you were showing me with the Google Maps. We were going to the old places in Connecticut, the in Middletown. The Wonder app, yes. Yeah, that. Um, it was right around the corner from that YMCA, that movie theater. Metro, That's where I remember seeing X Metro movies. I just Wadey was just here. I I put the app on again. I showed her that movie theater. Yeah. 
We, I believe we watched an X-Men movie there. We might have. If if we did, it was the first one. And the only reason why I remember that, because I think I remember you bitching about the fact that they're always bad. So it was either you or someone else saying that they never do X-Men movies justice. I don't know why this is a memory I have in my brain, and I don't even know if it's completely accurate. But <laughs> that's like my fondest memory of X-Men. And after watching it and not really being that excited about it, it's just kind of like, I don't know, it just always sat with me. So it'd be nice to get a, a, a good X-Men movie that ties. The cool thing is, is that if they do do it, it will be tied to a greater story. So you're already set up to have some type of decent storytelling. It's just not going to be an aimless movie. It's probably play towards a bigger picture so it would be very interesting to see what they do yeah they would have released it on a timeline though wouldn't they yeah well again they haven't released much information on the timeline at all i'm assuming because that because they keep saying hey wait till you see what we have in store wait till we have what happened here here we go there we go we're live baby but no they said uh wait till you see what we do Doctor Strange first and then we'll explain it and there's a lot of speculation right now that this will that this movie will introduce the mutants to the MCU. And if they do that, then that's pretty much setting the door for uh the X Men. So we'll see how that goes. Uh also as a side note, the director of Spider Man of the Spider Man movies, John Watts, was slated to be the director for the Fantastic Four film, which will begin filming very, very soon. And he has backed off. He has stepped away from it. So they're going to need a, dire- a new director for that film. I'm telling you, everything... Why? Uh, he hasn't cited a reason. He, and it can't be that bad because he's still on as a producer. So he's still going to be on set. He's just not. He was it. like, I can't work with this. This is the ultimate trash. His characters <laughs> are garbage. Not, probably not because he's still on as a producer. He's still going to be on set. He just won't be in charge. So we'll see what's going on with that. Uh, Black Panther uh, Wakanda Forever has so many question marks attached to it. So much fogginess. So much cloudiness. But finally... Uh, has not been released to the public, uh, but CinemaCon 2022 did have a clip that they revealed to kind of give some sort of indication as to which way we're going with this. Was given to the audience who was there that day. Uh, short clip, but the way that it's described is we're out in the plains of Wakanda. There's a big battle about to take place, and the leaders of that battle on the Wakandan side uh, it shows the three women, Okoye, Shuri, and Nakia, uh, gearing up for battle. So the we were saying before, Black Panther, wow, what a step forward for women in the industry. And they're going to continue to push that envelope, I guess. We'll see where that leads. That's the best that they can do right now. They just fil- finished filming it, so probably don't have anything really edited together too much as far as trailers or clips or anything like that. So that is an indication, though, that these three women will be playing a huge role. The question was, well, how do you replace Chadwick? I guess you don't. You just push with you, with what you got. Mm. And so we'll see how all of that turns out, if they're going to do a new fucking Black Panther or not, or I don't know what the fuck the plan is. I guess anything is possible now because I don't know if you heard, but Paul Walker is returning to Fast and the Furious. 
Did you hear this? I uh, no. Yes, you know Paul Walker is dead. <clears throat> I understand. I understand. Yes. Paul Walker is fucking dead, and they're like, "Well, Paul's coming back, bro." No, bro. What That's the, nasty. What the fuck? I told this to my wife. People were just gonna. Day. I told this. That's to my nasty. Wife. Hold on. I told this to my wife the other day that he's coming back, and they're like, "How the fuck are they gonna listen?" I wouldn't put it past them to come up with something because in the last movie they were in space. And my wife just looked at me and went, why are you always over-exaggerating everything? <laughs> and I said, no, sweetie, they were in space. And she was like, stop fucking with me. They didn't go to fucking space, Steph. They went to space. <laughs> to just in, a the fucking clip, in a fucking car. No. they didn't, uh, Man, bitch, come over here. Look at this. And I put the the space clip on my phone. She thought I was lying. She hasn't seen a Fast and Furious movie in years. I think five. I haven't either. I think five was the last one because of The Rock. Uh, the last one I remember watching, watching was the one where he like looks at the girl's eyes as he's driving really fast at the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah. So I showed her the space clip. She just shook her head. She's like, are you fucking serious? I said, yeah. Yeah. They sent the two black guys to space. This is a fucking thing that happened. And this got so ridiculous, there was even a script on the line. People were like, we're putting a script together to have, like, Fast and Furious versus Jurassic Park or some shit. Like, they were going to have the family go against dinosaurs or some shit. I'm like, it's getting ridiculous over here. But that movie that made that that went to space, that shit made, like, a billion dollars. They're going to keep making these things, I'm telling you. So I was like, if they can bring Paul Walker back for not just one, but two movies, because the last they're they're ending the franchise with a two-parter, and Paul's in both. Well, I don't know if it's true or not, but I know when they ended that last movie, when he died right before the ending, uh, right before they finished recording it, I believe they used his brother. Yes. And and then then just modified the face. And then modified the face. So, yes. They probably like, yo, I'm sure they were at the end of that. It's like, look. Yeah. They did the We're not going to bring thing. this up right now because it's just not the time. They did the same we thing. could get away a whole ass movie with this. Oh, like, a whole ass we movie. We could definitely do a whole movie with like just this. Yeah. And you know what? We might even get ballsy and do like an exclusive Paul Walker movie <laughs> just, just off of this shit. Brian like, we can pull it off. We'll wait a little bit though. It's too soon. They used soon. that technology in Star Wars when Carrie Fisher died, Princess Leia. She had died toward the end of filming the second film they were putting together, and they still used her in the third. But they had an actress come in and they make the movements, and then they modified the face. So it's it's possible if technology has gotten to the point now where we can start uh, hiring dead actors. Boy, let me tell you, it's going to get a lot harder to get these parts in movies. Because uh, I'm I'm bringing back Humphrey Bogart. I'm bringing back Fred Astaire. Can we get Rodney Dangerfield back? Uh, George Carlin. I mean, if anything, it opens up the door. It opens up the door for other actors who otherwise wouldn't get in, like impersonators. Ah, impersonators. It. I mean, they usually got the talent, but not necessarily the look. But if you can mimic someone to a T, I can modify you to be that person. (laughs) There you go. That's all that it takes. Just get the body movement now. Get some get some body language together, and we'll we'll change the. Imagine, imagine an Elvis concert. 
3D. Oh my god! In the movie theaters, you think people wouldn't go see that? If you find an impersonator, the best impersonator of Elvis, and I know there's millions, yeah. And then you get them on screen and you modify a concert, people would go see that shit. Even today, people would go see that shit. Hell yeah! So I don't know. It's interesting. It's interesting tech. Mm. Yep. Who uh, thought I cloning thought- would have just been editing all along? Oh boy, yeah, we're getting we're getting closer and closer. I, there's a couple of movies I'd like to see redone. Remember the original actors, bring those fucking people back. Jesus Christ, that that sets. Let me tell you, that sets a terrible precedent. Like, cause I, cause I don't need any of you young heads. I'm gonna go back and get the classics, the proven winners, and put them in my films. Uh comic book movies off to the side. We've got a slide. Back into wrestling for just a second, because I sent you a clip of some an accident that took place, mm-hmm. and I showed my wife. I told right before I showed my wife the clip. I said, "Bam, I'm gonna show you something on my phone. It's fantastic." She goes, "What is it?" I said, "Bobby Lashley executing a moonsault from the ring to the floor." And she said, "What?" I said, "Yeah, Bobby Lashley executing a moonsault to the floor." And of course. My wife, being smart in the business, she was like, to, just to the floor? Nobody was there? No one caught him or nothing? I was like, well, just watch. And I showed her the clip. And then she just made that face like, oh, you fucking with me. And the rope broke. That's why he did a fucking, yeah, he did a complete fucking moonsault to the ground. Like that was a real break? Yeah. The rope break. The rope Like for real? Broke. Yeah. Rope oh, broke. Man. But here's the key, though. The rope didn't break on Bobby. The rope broke on Drew. That's why Bobby did the backflip, and that's why Drew didn't really get hurt because when he hit the rope, he had just enough resistance to keep his weight where it was. He just fell to the ground because he became unbalanced. Bobby threw his weight back to hit a rope, and there was nothing there. Air. That's all that was there. And he went to the point where Sammy was like, Jesus! You can just see with his hands in the air. Oh, fuck. (laughs) Uh, so, for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, the WWE currently is on a European loop around the UK. They were in Newcastle, and uh, Drew McIntyre against Bobby Lashley. Uh, Sami Zayn was there for some reason. I don't know. I wasn't there. And uh, they were doing this spot where... They've done it before, where the Claymore was the end result of this spot. So, it was like a headlock or some sort of maneuver, and then there's a push-off. Bobby hits the rope. Uh, excuse me, no, Drew hits the rope, Duck's clothesline, then they're both supposed to come off the rope, and then Drew will hit the Claymore. When this spot took place, Drew hit the rope, and the whole top rope just buckled up and dropped to the ground. And when that happened, Bobby threw his weight back uh, to hit the rope, obviously. There was nothing there, and he did a complete whoop, 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 whoop to the floor. Moon he looked salt. perfectly fine, though. He looked perfectly fine. And I think he might have been at best shaken up, but uh, Sammy went in immediately for the check. I think referee did the same thing. He was good. Sammy threw him back into the ring. They continued the match, and it was over, narrowly escaping injury. Mm. The reason why I'm bringing this up as a part of the conversation for today's show, not because of the rope break that happens all the time. It, it just happens. I've if it a- wasn't for the fact that he folded into the apron, that would have been bad. Yeah, like he if he would have if he would have dropped his weight at that angle went straight to the ground. I could see something bad happening, but he like almost perfectly rolled onto the apron 
were on his shoulder and then kind of flipped over. At least that's what it looked like for me. Yeah. So when I saw it, I'm like, all right, he's cool. That that shit was one of those when you hit the ground, you're like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that just happened. What the fuck just happened, right? Yeah. yeah. That's why I said maybe at best shaken up. Because it's very disorienting, especially when you're not trying to flip. <laughs> you just kind of go all the way over. But the, the, but the primary reason why I'm bringing this up is because I've been a part of shows where the top rope broke. I've I've seen it. And I've also seen Jake Roberts come to the fucking rescue. <laughs> I, I've, I was at a show. It was a festival, no lie. Concert festival. And we, there, were, we were, there was all kinds of different entertainment taking place at this place. And obviously I was at a wrestling show that was happening there. And the top rope during a match completely fucked up, came down. Now... It didn't come all the way off like it did here. In this particular situation, one turnbuckle specifically popped and it came down and the other three just kind of drooped forward like that. So no stability at all whatsoever. Match was over. Obviously, we have to take an intermission now to fix the ring. None of the ring crew people know how to fix this. And out of nowhere, from the back, comes Jake the Snake Roberts. Comes into the ring and he's like, I got this. And this dude, I don't even know if he had a tool in his hand. And he came, and he started doing some shit, some wild voodoo Georgian shit, and all of a sudden, that top rope was good as new. Spit is shining like a brand new penny. And we were like, God damn, that's that old school mentality, baby. They got it all figured out. But yeah, I wanted to bring this up because I've seen that top rope break on national television, and I've seen that top rope break on the indies. And for some reason, the only time that I ever see massive, really bad injuries is on the indies. I never see it when the professionals are doing it. I never see it. And it's not a size issue. I've seen little guys have that top rope break and nothing happened to them. i seen we just saw a big guy do it, Bobby Lashley. Okay? The reason why I'm bringing it up is because there's a secret to the sauce. There's a secret. There's a little trick that a lot of these professionals do to keep themselves from dying in these situations. And every wrestling school teaches this trick. It's not a secret. That's why Not to I, throw all your weight at the top to kind of break it in between with the middle rope as well? Absolutely not. Oh, okay. Fair the enough. opposite of what you just said. Throwing all your weight into that top rope every single time. There's a trick that we do in wrestling school Every single time that a wrestler is trained to run ropes, they're trained the same exact way, or at least they're supposed to. Now, your feet is a completely different argument. I'm not going to get into that. We could be here all day talking about that because different people train or teach that differently than other people. I'm not going to go on that path. But what I will say is what are the tricks to running ropes when they – teach it to you is when you hit the rope top rope okay you're supposed to hit that rope the sweet spot of where you hit that rope is just underneath the shoulder blade not the armpit but right where that blade is the shoulder blade you want to hit that rope right there and the key is to hit that rope as hard as you fucking can that's what the running ropes drills are for trainers will tell you hit you can't run the ropes by placing your body on the rope you got to fucking attack that rope. 
that's how it's always trained. That's why they do drills where they go from one rope to the other, back and forth, boom, 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 because you're supposed to train. You got to hit that rope. The rope is not cosmetic. The, the the psychology of the hitting the rope in the middle of a match is to gain momentum. That's the point. Like jumping into a rubber band so that you can fly off with extra momentum at your opponent. So to simply run the rope where you just kind of place your body on the rope is kind of useless. It's dumb. You're supposed to really fucking go for it and really fucking attack it. And that's what every trainer tells you. Attack the ropes. If you've been in a wrestling school longer than a fucking month, you've heard that screamed at you a thousand times. <clears throat> attack the rope. Attack the rope. You got to go after the rope. Boom. Step, step, step. Boom. Step, step, step. You got to really fling your body at that top rope. Now, if you're hitting second ropes, you're a little guy, and God help you if that rope breaks. But the whole point of the safety portion is the top rope, okay? You got to throw everything into it. And that's why a lot of these WWE superstars, a lot of these high-level talents who have the rope break on them, they don't get hurt. Because if Bobby had been running at that rope at half speed, I'm a, he's a big guy. He's hefty. Maybe he feels like, I don't have to fucking hit that rope that hard. It's just going to rope bite me. I'm just going to get hit, so I'm just going to cosmetically hit the rope, come at Drew. If he doesn't throw everything he has at that top rope, he lands a whole lot differently than he did. Because of the speed in which he threw his back backwards, that completed the rotation when he went to the floor. Well, That's why I make the joke about it being a moonsault. Because he went literally all the way over. He didn't touch anything in his upper body. His legs left the ground because he hit the bottom ropes, and it continued all the way through, and he came out safe. I've seen it happen to Seth Rollins, where he goes to hit the rope. Rope's not there. He comes all the way over. It's a complete flip. Now it's scary, and it's disorienting, but believe it or not, that's the safest way to fall to the ground from the ring. You don't want to fall. You don't want a lawn dart, as they used to say, into the fucking floor. And that's what happens to a lot of indie people. They don't throw their weight back. They don't hit it for real. So instead of flipping all the way over, they kind of like sit into it. I don't know how to describe that. If I had a visual, I could. They put their arm back to the top rope. Imagine putting your back to the ropes, your arm up, and then all of a sudden you just kind of put your butt into the second rope. Like you kind of sit down onto it. That's what a lot of guys do. And if that rope breaks and you're in a seated position, that's a broken neck. I have seen people who don't hit the rope right and the rope breaks or even if it doesn't break completely, if you slip on it or you get disoriented on it, that's an injury. That's a neck. That's I've seen it. I've seen people. I've seen people like their head get bobbled between the ropes and they injure their eye. I've seen people pop shoulder blades out from not hitting the rope. It, this shit is no joke. That's why the training is so important about using that ring. If you don't know how to hit ropes, you're going to get hurt. And that's something that I'm saying out loud for people to take into consideration who are either currently in training or thinking about it. The rope is not cosmetic. It's not something that we do just to make the move look pretty. It's it, There's a technique to it. you got to hit that rope with everything you fucking got. Everything. Every time. So if you're hitting, if you've been in a match for 32 minutes and you're still hitting ropes, you're still supposed to hit that shit with everything you got. It's... That's the that's the part. I know people get blown up just wrestling, wrestling, taking moves, grappling. Have some respect for the people that hit those ropes all fucking night. 
because it's not an easy thing to fucking do. That will blow you up just as much as a suplex will. Especially when you see spots like this where it's like off the rope, duck clothesline, off the rope, leapfrog, drop down, roll through, okay, Irish whip, bam, off the rope, down, kick up, oh, oh, he's going to attack me, throw the head underneath, boo, and then rope, 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 rope. That Those spots are really fucking hard to fucking do con- consistently over and over and over again. So when you see people of that size, 270, 280, especially like Bobby, pure muscle, dense, heavy motherfuckers, that's how they survive. Commitment. They have to commit to the idea that that rope's going to be there, even if it's not. They have to commit to the idea that that rope's there. You can't break a habit because it it could literally save your life. That motherfucker was completely upside down. He falls on his neck. I mean, you see what happened to Big E. You know, and Biggie, to his credit, was thrown carelessly, but thrown. This guy was in nobody's hands. There was no, there was no control of that fall whatsoever. The only reason his life wasn't completely changed after that fall is because of his commitment. That mm-hmm. rope is going to be there. Throw it. And thank God, because man, even Sammy, Sammy was standing right there. You can't even, you don't, because of the camera angle, you don't really see him hit. You just see him flip and then go down. And then Sammy just jumps up and throws his hands up. So you knew it was a gnarly fall. Because Sammy, who who I've seen have a top rope break on him as El Generico. And I, you just see it, you hear the click, and then you see him go upside down and you go, oh, fuck. That's <laughs> like, oh, shit. Yeah, so I just think that was important to go about and just remind people when you're in that ring, man, it is important to commit. Can't stress it enough. You got to commit that everything is going to be in its place. My opponent is going to be where he needs to be. The rope's going to be there. Everything's intact. Like everything's fine. Like with the the meme where everything's on fire, the dog at the bar, everything's fine. <laughs> it's okay. Everything's going the way that it's supposed to go. So, what were your thoughts when you saw that clip at first? I didn't. When I, I don't know. When I saw, I'm just like, yeah, it wasn't that big of a deal. <laughs> like it was all right. Like, you yeah. fell. You couldn't have have fell any better. Like that couldn't yeah. have ended any better than it That's did. That's the way so. you want it to happen. Clean, right over the top. <laughs> he probably landed hard like a front pump, like on his belly or whatever. His legs probably hit like crazy. Yeah, he just needed a second to collect himself, make yeah. sure that he wasn't actually injured, <laughs> sold it still, Yeah, got up, had to get thrown back into the ring. I was surprised at the speed they threw him back in. I was like, he must have been perfectly fine. I was fine. He was absolutely yeah. fine. You could just tell by the way that he fell, he was perfectly fine. And now they got to come up with a new way to hit that Claymore. <laughs> that's it because it breaks right so there's no top rope even now so they're probably like listen i'm gonna come at you i'm gonna duck this and i'm just gonna fucking kick you in the face all right good let's go so we'll we'll see but yeah i just wanted to put that point out there please folks if you're at school if you're still training keep that little piece of information in line man really it's gonna save your life commit 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 my son is learning now that these bumps, <laughs> it's it, he's he's not taking bumps. He's not in a wrestling ring. He's been doing this gymnastic stuff, and part of wrestling training in the beginning, the very very bare bones beginning, has a lot to do obviously with bumps falling down. But they do a lot of rolls and rolling, 
forward roll, quarter roll, back roll, tiger roll. There's a lot of different roles. And the point of that is for you to get your mind around the idea of being disoriented. In wrestling, disorientation is a natural part of a transition to becoming a wrestler. You're upside down a lot in wrestling. Even when you don't want to be, you it's inevitable. You're going to be upside down. And it's important not only to become accustomed with that feeling, but think about this. Imagine if you're disoriented being upside down and you have to be upside down 45 minutes into a match. You're blown up. You're tired. You're sweaty. And now you're upside down. You want to vomit. You got to get used to it. That's what training is for. So all these different roles. So my son is doing roles in gymnastics because in gymnastics it's the same thing. You're upside down a lot. So they're like, here, they were teaching him roles. And there was a four role and this and that. And he couldn't get the role to save his fucking life. And the reason for that is because his brain is telling him this is bad. That's what happens in wrestling. Every time I got a friend who goes, oh, I want to get in the ring. And then I get in the ring with him. And I'm like, okay, it's like a bump. And they fucking sit down all properly. You have to fall down. <laughs> and they go, oh, my, I can't, I can't, like, they can't, they can't wrap their brain around fall down. Because for years, your brain tells you fall down bad. Right. It won't let you fall down. That's why you always see when you first see people bump for the first time, their elbows hit, or because their body's like brace, brace, brace. And in wrestling, you can't do that. You have to fall down as hard as you physically can and then pop right back up. And it's hard for people to wrap their mind around it. It's the hardest part of wrestling training. That's why it's the first couple of months. People say, uh, when do we start doing moves? When you learn to not throw up from the other stuff. How are you supposed to go to the top rope? How are you supposed to give someone a suplex and you don't like being upside down? You, If you can't roll without being disoriented, what are we talking about? I'm not letting you pick somebody up. Right. To throw them somewhere. So the first few months of wrestling training for, for new people, it's really boring, but it's necessary. You need to feel comfortable being uncomfortable. And that's kind of where my expertise in training and, and teaching people really shine the most because I had a really good habit of getting people ready for that. I can show you how to do moves, but if you can't do this other shit, we're, we're not doing nothing. So that's what the first training is. Roll this, roll that, and it's combinations. All right, so we get into a line. Somebody hits a corner. I need you to give me front roll, front roll, back roll, quarter roll, front bump. And they would have to execute it. Boom, boom, back roll, quarter roll, and then front bump, bam. And then the next guy would go boom, 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 boom. And then we'd change it up. Back roll, back roll, tiger roll, front bump. And then we just keep going back and forth with different rolls and different things. That way, when they do all that, and then you start running spots later to where it's like, okay, you're going to grab a headlock, you're going to shoot him off into the rope, and then he's going to give you a shoulder tackle, boom. He's going to go the opposite rope there. You'll pancake down. He jumps over, leapfrog, boom, boom, hip toss, bam, kick off. And then now we're flipping, we're rolling. All the things you were practicing, now you're doing it in real time with bumps. You see how all that figures into a slow progression? And then from there, you start getting crazy. That's where the years comes in. By year two, you're not even thinking about bumping anymore. You're just falling down like normal. Taz said it the best. You know you're doing it right when you slip in the supermarket and you bump. It's not even a thought. It's just something that you just do now. I can't go into a gym 
as a teacher myself and see a mat and not want to take a bump. It's impossible. I just look at it. I have to fall down on that. It just looks so dope. <laughs> I have to fall down. Uh, uh, you know, it's it's become it becomes second nature. If you can't do the beginning stuff, you're not built for this. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've seen a lot of people come to my uh, not not my but where I was training people years ago. They come in and they want to do this and they want to do that. They do the bumps. They do the drills for like a fucking week and that's it. They go, oh, you know what? It was much better when I was just buying my tickets and rooting for them from the stands. It was much better. So that's my rant on wrestling training. Every once in a while, I do one of those. But, you know, keep your shit together. Not everybody's built for this. Sorry. Mm-mm. You know who is built for this, Dave? You know who's. Me. <laughs> Me. You know who is built for this and has become officially time tested. We are here to celebrate 20 years of Randy Orton. Did it feel like 20 years to you? Did it feel uh, like I actually felt like a little longer. I don't know why. I feel like he's been past one year already. Oh, man. I was there for his debut, man. I remember him coming up for the first time. I was like, wow. Who the fuck? What kind of plain Jane bullshit is this? Oh, man. I thought he moved good, but I was like, this dude is whack. When I first saw him, I was oh, like, he wasn't fuck? whack. He was just super, super, like, super young. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, baby face, but not in a manner of, 20, like, wrestling. Just, like, really. 20, just looked like He looked like he was 15 years old with just hitting his growth spurt early. That's basically what he Jesus looked like to me. Christ. Had that, had that <laughs> surfer body. That smooth. Kid. <laughs> and that smooth youthful look oh my god i was like what and then i think uh they were showing it the other day his first match was hardcore holly i was like oh my god bob's gonna eat this motherfucker alive and then randy won i was like oh shit that's a debut but you knew who he was when he first came out yeah randy orton yeah i knew but- the name from ovw i was familiar with their developmental at the time because um this is going to sound stupid, but I didn't really know much about OVW until I heard about Lesnar. So what happened was, is they when they saw, of all the people they had in OVW, which was Orton, uh, Cena, Benjamin, I mean, who's who, right? Shelton Benjamin, Charlie Haas, and the, Ra- the Haas brothers, and there was a laundry list of people that were in OVW at that time. The only person that I heard about was Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar was, I read, this was back when I was reading Sports Illustrated. And Brock Lesnar was, uh, you know, everyone talks about it all the time, right? NCAA heavyweight champion, an, an amateur legend, right? He was a collegiate, a legendary collegiate wrestler. And he was on, he was in Sports Illustrated. And they, the end of the article is basically what they're going to do next. And they had made mention that he had signed a WWE contract and would begin training at their developmental system in OVW, Ohio. Ohio Valley Wrestling. And that was the first time I had heard about Ohio Valley Wrestling. So I said, okay, let's take a look at this place and see what they got going on. And that's where I first saw the name Randy Orton. Didn't mean much to me at the time. And then I eventually found out he was the son of Bob Orton Jr. And that made me take an interest in him because I knew his dad and I knew his dad's dad. So I said, okay, he's a third-generation superstar. That's a first. That's a first. We had never had one of those before. 
We had many wrestlers who had sons that came into the business. We didn't have too many grandsons that came into the business. That was a first. So I kind of paid attention at that point, but didn't really follow. And then he debuted on SmackDown, and I was like, meh. Because look at look at Lesnar's debut, right? Comes out murdering motherfuckers. Put, was it, was it uh, Spike Dudley? He almost murdered and massacred to death and threw Al Snow and Maven on the top of their fucking heads. And What a debut. And then Cena, right? So the prototype, John Cena, comes out. He, he debuts against Kurt Angle. And ruthless aggression and slaps the shit out of him. Even Batista, who I forgot to mention a second ago, he's a part of that line. He debuted in a goofy gimmick, but at least he was with the Dudleys. He was with someone, you know? Everybody here was linked to someone. And then here comes Randy Orton, wrestling hardcore Holly out of fucking nowhere. I'm like, well, this guy's a piece of shit, right? He didn't get the big fanfare. Natural talent. He looked smooth, but I was like, I, I, I didn't really see it at the time. And then evolution took place. And Triple H is like, yeah, I'm going to team with Flair, and i got to pick two new guys. And he picked Batista, which was an obvious pick. And then he picked Randy Orton, which I didn't get. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest with you, I didn't get the Randy Orton deal. I, I was like, he's in there because of his dad. That was the vibe I got. And they said it in the promo. It was like third-generation superstar. You know, um, he's been given every gift that a man can get, right? He's got the look. He's got the, the physique. He's got size to him. He can move. He's an athlete. Again, all potential stuff. If you look at Evolution top to bottom, it was clear to me Batista was the bigger prize in that group. And then as things progressed and Randy started showing a little bit more personality, a little bit more character than Batista did, he would go on to be the world champion first, which I thought was a mistake. At the time, I thought it was a mistake. I was like, nah, that might be too early. He's beaten Benoit for the world title at SummerSlam. I was like, what the fuck? It looked odd. It felt odd. And then when he won the world title, I think they realized, ah, this was a mistake. And uh, even when they gave him the song, you know, the, hey, nothing you can say. He had the big entrance with the sparkle. I remember that one. Yeah, that wasn't a bad song. It was all. It was dope. All the whole presentation was dope, but he wasn't ready. He was not ready, and he knows he wasn't ready. And they found out very quickly he wasn't ready, and I didn't feel he was either. He needed some time, and once he got that time, he got good, and then he got great, and now he's unfucking touchable. <laughs> oh, and that's and that right there is the uh, a great, great uh, not explanation, a great example of raw talent and experience. Like giving someone the opportunity to do something and gain that experience and be in the ring with the right people, and then that <laughs> that what do you call it? Na- uh, nature over nurture. No. <laughs> Wins every time, man. Every time. Every time. Every time. (laughs) Football and crab cakes. That's what Maryland does. What Maryland does, man. Uh, Where is that sequel coming out? Great fucking movie. (laughs) Uh, Anything they do after that won't live up to the hype, but still. Never. Kind of like Anchorman. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're leaving me in the trenches. Take your grenades. I hope you fall over your bike and knock out your two front teeth. <laughs> I've been using that insult for fucking years now, the two front teeth deal. Anyway, 
We're celebrating the 20th anniversary of Randy Orton, so I thought it would be interesting to kind of break down. And I, you know, doing the research in my head and doing some Googling, hit the old Google machine, and just look up 20 of Randy Orton's greatest opponents, some of the best programs that he's been a part of in those 20 years of WWE. And I gotta be honest with you, this list was entirely too easy to put together. God damn, he's had some great fucking opponents and matches and prom and programs. Oh, I'm just fuck. shocked that this. So this is your opinion. And it's not ranked. I don't want okay. you to see this okay. list and go. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, it's not ranked. I put a list together originally just to see if I could. And there's people on this list. I mean, there's people I didn't even get a chance to add on this list. Where I was like, oh, man, he was good with this guy, too. And he was good with this guy. Oh, my fucking God, he was good with this guy. And, and I gave you links to some of the programs they were a part of. Hopefully that summarized somewhat of what that program was really about. But I was able to put 20 together. We'll go through the list um, as quickly as possible because there's 20. But I just want to name a few different things here that Randy Orton, because I, as I just told the story here about what I thought about him when I first saw him and, and, and through the years, what, what, let me just start with this with you. Are, are you uh, any bit of a Randy Orton fan at this point? I like I like Randy Orton. I don't really have and many 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 like a lot of this stuff happened in that time where I was just kind of in and out. Yeah, so I wasn't really watching too crazy. Like some of these, like I I got a good amount with uh, a few of these, but some of them I I don't remember seeing the program. So seeing the promo was like, oh okay, these promo these were some good ass promos though. I tell you, these these yeah. uh not promos but like what do you call them again? They're programs, it, it, promo packages. Promo packages, there you go. The promo packages to these things are just kind of insane. And like I said, watching some of the opponents you have here, I'm like, oh, okay, that's interesting that they're on this list. I thought they would be. I didn't think that they would be. Then I watched some of the some of the, the promo, and I'm like, all right, this is actually pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> like I kind of want to watch it now. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because promo packages to me are the best. They're my favorite things in the world. As a matter of fact, I'm in the process right now of editing one for me and my team. Because uh, we're getting into a feud with somebody, so we're going to be putting some stuff together. I love promo packages. They really sell a lot of what you're trying to get across as part of the story goes. But uh, in order to do a promo package, you have to put in the work before that. You have to do the segments. You have to do the interviews. And then someone clips that together and puts it together in like three or four minutes. Uh, but you have to go out there every week and do that. For him to do that process this many times and put out these many this many bangers i was like Whew, this guy figured it out <laughs> this guy figured it out and i told one of my buddies i was gonna do this i was like top 20 opponents and blah blah and somebody went to me and said yo oh nine bald orange randy orton was the best randy orton ever of all time that heel oh nine when he developed the viper gimmick and he was slithering around the ring, and he was extra thin, and he was orange as fuck, and, <laughs> and bald as fuck, and he just kept RKOing these left and right, and blah, blah. And we got a few of those here, so we'll get again. They're not ranked in any particular order. I didn't feel like I could do that to be honest with you, because there's so many good ones here. But these were definitely 20 opponents that I just felt was like just some of the best stuff that he had done. And I'm gonna start off with 20. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you, I had to, I, we talked about it on this show a bunch, so I had to put it on this fucking list, his feud with Alexa Bliss. 
Now, I know people are going to say, AJ, that was a feud with Bray Wyatt. That was really a few with Alexa. No, oh, no, no. They had a scheduled match at Fastlane. It was a fucking feud with Alexa Bliss. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was a feud with Alexa Bliss, and quite honestly, <laughs> I mean, one could argue who's to say that even if Wyatt was there, if it would be better than what that shit was. He was on. He was in his acting bag. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with he, that feud, he, he was. He was definitely in his acting bag that day. And he uh, had an amazing... You know what it was? It was so many... And you got to give Alexa Bliss a lot of credit as well. Absolutely. I'll give her that. And uh, Alexa Bliss definitely held up her into the bargain. But Randy Orton's commitment to this entire goofy... I I give him credit for this, too. I don't think I would have enjoyed it as much if it didn't happen during the pandemic. With the screens and the no people and all that stuff, there was so much goofy shit taking place uh, throughout the course of um, throughout the course of that entire feud, where I, I almost didn't want Bray to come back. <laughs> I knew it had to come to some sort of head somehow, I guess. But I'm super glad that they did this because it. This was a different layer to Randy Orton. This was something different. In a time where we really, really didn't get a whole lot different from a lot of people, we got something different from Randy Orton here, and I appreciate it. <clears throat> so I needed to add this to the list. I just thought it was a good program that he did. And it was during the pandemic when, to be honest with you, there wasn't a whole lot going on during the pandemic that was really You didn't think that would be just as good in, like, today? In front of the audiences, the way that they did that, I think they that they did it the way that they did because there was really no one there. I don't know how to explain that, but it I felt like because because nobody was really there and they didn't have the screen, I mean they had the screens and there wasn't really a whole lot people had to worry about as far as possible injuries like remember that the, the the match itself fascinating they had things falling from the ceiling and he was coughing up black sludge and she tried to light herself on fire you can't do the fire gimmick with the people in there like that the way that she was doing it with the gasoline and the whatnot the state athletic commissions are not going to let that happen they were able to pull that off because there was nothing but professionals in the facility it was a safe environment they wouldn't right. have been able to go that far outside of uh, you know if the people would have fucking been there so i i know I, I i don't believe that i i really do believe that it it was perfect for what it was right for right right where uh you know right, right place right time yeah right place right time i don't think it would have worked in, in any other situation so kudos to them i'll give it to them and uh let's see how that works out with randy orton after the fact but because you can make an argument after WrestleMania. Boy, they had to pivot fast when the fans came back. And we did. And we got rated RK Bro, and which is a much more realistic storyline than when he was in before. And it's working. It's one of the best things on Raw today. Uh, 19 on the list. And again, not ranked in any particular order. But the next guy on the list, Brock Lesnar. This was a built-in program, even though it never really happened the way that I think they wanted. Randy Orton had one purpose in this. Uh, they never really had a feud back in the day. They debuted around the same time. They were in OVW together, but they never really battled each other throughout the course of their careers. Uh, there was the one match that happened, that SummerSlam, where Randy Orton got busted open for real. 
and all part of the plan. Uh, Randy had one simple job: get Lesnar over as a fucking maniac, as a as a destroyer, as a whole deal, and he did his job to a T. He did his job so goddamn well that Chris Jericho picked a fight with Brock Lesnar. Now, that's how good Randy Orton sold that shit. Jericho thought the shit was for real. <laughs> he was about to fight fucking Lesnar. They were like, yo, bro, it's a work, bro. What are you doing? <laughs> and and Vince, what was it? The story we heard, Vince had to grab Jericho into another room. You fucking idiot. It's a work, you piece of shit. But that's how good Randy fucking did that. And Les, they did a really good piece of business there. Because Lesnar opened him up with elbows. Can you imagine? That's the plan. Lesnar's going to, I'm going to fucking take my elbow and I'm going to fucking jack you open. He's like, all right. Pause. Yeah. Well, yeah, on both levels. Because I would have, <laughs> I would have paused what they pitched too, not just the gay thing, but the actual thing to the fucking face. Like he's just gonna elbow me in my face for real. Yup. Oh, I'm straight, man. Look, listen, bury me, bro. I'll be the intercontinental champion tomorrow. I don't give a fuck. No, but he did it, and he did it the right way. And and this is, we're gonna get to some of his older. I mean, yeah, some of his older stuff. To where that whole give your body to the business thing was a lot less, you know, a lot less frequent. Uh, the next opponent here, I had to put him on here because, again, this was another situation. Lesnar was made, but they needed him to have a little extra oomph, and that's where Randy comes in. The next guy, he built from scratch. Let's let's be real about it. I this. was shocked about this one yes. when I saw this. On, and then when I saw this name on this list, I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. I was interested. Randy, and then I watched it, and it was uh, it was it was pretty good. Randy almost single handedly tried his best to get this motherfucker over in a day. Like he's he's we're gonna get you over now, and then I'm gonna continue to work with you so you stay over, and it worked. And so you know this person owes a lot to Randy Orton, and that's Mark Henry. Mark Henry, they play. I think in the package that I showed you, he was like years of frustration and sexual chocolate and then he was just some big guy with a manager and they just didn't know what to do with him they had him signed for all these years and they just didn't know what to do they started doing this whole hall of pain thing and it was getting over pretty well he was finally getting his groove but he needed someone to take him to that next level and that guy was randy orton and then we had the big match at night of champions which stunned everybody when mark henry beat randy orton for the world title it was a stunning victory not to say that it wasn't believable, it was just a stunning victory because he never really extended to that level before. And not only did Randy, if you watch that match, Randy sold things for Mark he would never sell for anybody else. He sold Mark's strength. They did things where like, even Mark, Mark Henry would squeeze his hand and Randy would sell a hand squeeze. Like, when the fuck did Randy Orton never sell a hand squeeze? Well, when have he ever had his hand squeezed by the world's strongest man? Exactly. That's the point. Thank you. Perfectly illustrated. Exactly. And that's why he sold that. And he sold that. He had Mark pick his ass up and throw his ass around. He's the world's strongest man. Okay, so then let him be strong. Let him be buff and throw yeah, my fucking yeah. Why ass are we around. making him gentle and sexy? Have <laughs> <laughs> this man fucking throw some people around. <laughs> exactly. So Mark Henry would end up being only world champion one time, but it was a meaningful run. Based on the stuff that he did with Randy and Mark went forward. The biggest fuck up they did with Mark Henry, and I've been, I said it then and I'll say it now. After Randy, they gave him Big Show. And that was a fucking, that was a mistake and a half. Because everything that Mark Henry was good at 
he can't do the big show. Mark Henry was a big, strong brute of a fucking man. Well, that's His because whole... Orton sold it so well. They're like, wow, he really is the world's strongest. Yes, and they bought into it. He <laughs> could throw anybody around. The he fans... sold it to the guys in the back. Like, yeah. holy shit, let's, let's have him wrestle Big Show. Yeah, then he'll throw Big Show around for a while. Absolutely. That'll get him over. And they're like, oh, God, we forgot. Big Show can't work like that. Oh, well. And then, yep. Yeah, and they was, there's so many people he could have ran through as world champion. And just threw him, Daniel Bryan, CM Punk, so many guys that he could have thrown around and gotten over. Ah, big mistake. I think it was Punk. Was it Punk who mentioned later on that he was a guy that he felt like really could have got Mark over? I can't remember, but yeah, Mark Henry definitely on this list because I mean, I mean, that's another example of Randy's abilities. On the next guy, we flip it again. There's no particular order here. I'm just naming 20 guys here, but they're all people that played a role. We flip it. Randy Orton tried his best to get Mark Henry over. This next guy, Shawn Michaels, putting in the work. Randy Orton is Triple H's guy at this time, the Evolution member. Everyone knows that Triple H is mentoring this kid. So, of course, he feeds him to his best friend. Now, Shawn Michaels is Shawn Michaels, especially at this time. This is fresh. This is right after the return. He's now full-time again, back on the road. He's working with a young guy here, Randy Orton. In all fairness, if Sean didn't want to, he didn't have to take a single bump for this fucking kid. Let's be honest, let's be real. It wouldn't be the first time. But he did. Ironically enough, he worked right around, right up to Randy's strengths. I'm sure you saw the promo where Sean goes, uh, you know, oh, so you're the guy who's going to kill the legend of Sean Michaels. You know, if I had a nickel for every time I've heard that, I'd be a millionaire. And he scoffs, oh, oh wait, <laughs> I am a millionaire. <laughs> it's because of stiffs like you who keep coming in here thinking you're going to finally end this. And then, you know, Randy Orton and Sean, they have their match or whatever. They had good chemistry. I'll give them that. It wasn't the best matches because of the time that they wrestled. Um, Sean was just kind of getting his feet wet again. They had some much better matches later on in their careers, especially that, I'm telling you, that 9 Randy baby when he was t- orange as fuck going against Shawn Michaels. Those were great fucking matches. I mean, heel, baby face, all that stuff. It was good stuff. And Randy Orton and Shawn Michaels on paper, you'd think athletically, woof, that's a dream match. And, they, and it was, and it was for a while. Uh, the next guy... Let me tell you something. I did not think was a dream match. In my brain, I was like, this is not going to go well. And it ended up going extremely fucking well. Daniel Bryan. Now, I know people go, Daniel Bryan not have a good match with somebody. Jesus, he could have a good match with anybody. I wasn't so sure, to be honest with you. Because Randy caught Daniel right. And again, I don't want to give Randy too much credit, but Bryan was getting over with the yes thing. And he was already kind of over. But, again, much like we talked about with Lesnar, Randy has this habit of being able to get a guy to the next level. Well, that's what happens when you feed this kid. Listen, what they did could have backfired so bad and been such a waste. But when you feed this kid legends and turn him into the legend killer at the very beginning of his career, showing that he not only can do this, but do it at a higher level as the guys before him. And then he starts to take that privilege and start building other people up with it. It's just... That payout couldn't have been like, I don't think there's another person that would have taken that opportunity and even to this day 
spread that that legacy he has now amongst other people and not only taking new people but established people and just just kind of giving them that extra step to that to yeah. that next level something different another, another level or like another layer to what it is they do like daniel was already over with that audience he's but it was over with that audience long before he got in the ring with randy and i don't mean just because of his ring of honor stuff i mean the yes stuff the wwe stuff was was getting over pretty damn good he had just finished up with the no stuff no 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 and he went back into the yeses and they did the whole deal with with daniel where he, he wins the title but not really and he, Randy Orton cashes in, and now they got to set up a. There was like another two months of program with that, and Randy has a habit. He 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 just knows how to get the next bit of stuff out of the next guy, and Daniel was clearly the next guy. And for Randy to be in that position where it's so it's so odd. Like when when Cena was on top, Cena was on top, right? He blowed he. He mowed through everybody for a long time. There was no really back and forth on that. But Taste is the same way, different show. Randy, Randy for some reason has the ability to be at the top of the card and the show opener, and it doesn't really matter because his shit is dope no matter where you put it on the card. And he he went into this program with Daniel Bryan, and Daniel Bryan was clearly the guy being positioned to be next. And... The, that's what they did, and Randy queued it up to a T. Not only would he have that program with him, that led to Daniel ascending to a higher level, but then that led to eventually WrestleMania, where Daniel Yeslemania, as Daniel Bryan defeats Triple H, and then gets into the main event of WrestleMania with Randy and Batista. So it's like you know, Randy did all that stuff and still managed to find himself in the main event of WrestleMania and delivered dope. So he just it's just what he does, just like this next guy. Jeff Hardy. Jeff Hardy up until this point was he was one half of the Hardy Boys. He, and even though he had, I think at the first time Randy Orton and Jeff really did, went at each other was the Royal Rumble in 2008. I was there physically in the building. And Randy was the WWE champion defending against Jeff Hardy. And I'm going to tell you this right here, right now. Uh, there's no bigger fan on the planet of Jeff Hardy than me. And I was confused. I was confused. Huh? Say, so how was this guy getting a world title shot? Not only because I still considered him a tag team, but even as a singles, he was at the time the Intercontinental Champion. So, and only, and it wasn't title for title; it was only Randy's title on the line. So I was like, okay, well, that gives away the finish, right? Randy's going to win this. But I'm like, what are they doing with this Jeff Hardy thing? Are they making him a singles guy? Are they branching him off? What's the deal? And then they did the big Swanton bomb spot on Raw leading up to the Rumble, and I was like, all right, that's cool and all, but I still don't understand how we got here. Then they did the program with the whole he's a fuck-up and he's this and he's that, and it were really... Jeff's one of those few characters where it worked, where you can destroy him as a person verbally, and yet it helped him in some weird way because then by the time that he rose up, it, you could never do enough damage to Jeff. He's an alcoholic. He's a druggie. He's a piece of shit, and he's and then they go, but damn, he's so charismatic, the charismatic enigma, and then he wins the world title, and people just love it. Randy was the first guy Jeff worked with where I watched the match, and when the match was over, I said uh, he could be a singles guy. That was the first time, and I saw it live, so maybe that helped. But yeah. I was like, I watched that match, I felt the room, it was over, and I went, Jeff could be a singles guy. I don't know if he could be WWE. Even that, at that time, I was like, I don't know if he could be WWE champion, but, oof, 
man, you get this guy in a single situation with the right push, with the style that he has, and the way that these people just blindly, there is something about Jeff Hardy that people just blindly just love. They just love him. If you ask people what it is, probably wouldn't even be able to tell you. Just he's Jeff Hardy. You gotta love Jeff Hardy. He's Jeff. That's it. He's just Jeff. That's it. And they use that to their advantage. And Randy yet again taking the guy to the next level. Uh, this next guy is a situation where they tried to take him to the next level. It didn't really work. But the reason why I put him on this list is because you mentioned earlier about something backfiring. I think the purpose of this program was to get the other guy over, but for me, it kind of got Randy Moore over, <laughs> and that's Bray Wyatt. And I don't mean the fiend like we were talking about earlier. I mean the original, the original, the yeah, original yeah. feud with the where, sheet mask and the yeah, where Randy joined the Wyatts, and then there was really just a ruse to burn down his family home and and disconnect him from sister abigail i thought the storyline itself was dope i thought they told a dope story but then again like you said earlier when we had randy orton and alexa bliss when you were saying before about in being in his acting bag you know he was in that with this i think bray is one of his favorite opponents because of that because it brought that out of him where he was able to get on the microphone and do some different things than he normally would. And I think the Bray Wyatt feud originally was a dope feud, and I think that it was supposed to get Bray over, but it got Randy over. Even though he almost lost it because that was the WrestleMania, Randy Orton came to the ring on a giant sperm. We all, we almost lost that. But mm. uh, but no, the, the Bray Wyatt. What do you, do you see the clip with the whole, the house and the fire and the this and the that and the what's it's? Yeah, that's all right. Yeah, dope stuff. Dope stuff, dope stuff. Next opponent, got to mention this guy because, I mean, Randy Orton can't stop talking about how much this guy did for him. This was the guy, besides from Mick, and Mick's on this list. We'll get to Mick in a second. If you want to talk about who made Randy Orton, you're talking about The Undertaker. Yeah, I know he just retired and people are still, they still have that ring of slobber around their mouth from filleting him for a whole weekend. Mm. But we got to go back to it because Taker didn't. Taker broke his own rule. He started a program with Randy at WrestleMania. It ended at Armageddon in a Hell in a Cell match. But they had match after match after. He took this motherfucker to school for a full fucking year. Master's class in psychology. He he took Randy Orton to finishing school here. Master's degree, PhD. This is how you perform at the top level of the top program in fucking wrestling. They had match after match after match. And the Hell in a Cell match they had wasn't even that bad. Actually, it was that Hell in a Cell match. And I, I don't know if people remember it entirely. But that was the Hell in a Cell match. Randy Orton and The Undertaker when they realized we have to redo the cell. That big boxy thing we have now, yeah, where it's like 20 foot tall or whatever, we got that cell after Orton and Taker because Orton almost killed himself inside that cell, and they realized we're going to have to change some things. <laughs> because Randy Orton, who never comes off the top rope, not that often really, they did a spot in the cell where Taker was on a table, and Randy went to the top rope when he went to splash him. 
and Randy Orton being the freak athlete that he is, fucking got on the top rope to do the splash and noticed when he got to the top rope that the top of the cell, this is the original cell now, was like right there because he's tall as fuck. He's a little 6'5", something like that himself, Randy Orton. The top of the cell is like right there. So he's like, ah, shit. He has to adjust for the height. And he ended up hitting like his feet or something on the cell, the roof of the cell, and fucked up the whole spot. He almost missed Taker and... Taker went through the table anyway, but it just looked doo-doo and caca. And that's when I think somebody went to the back and was like, that cell, listen, that cell, it needs to be changed up. And they changed it. Now we got all this access space on top, and it's a whole thing. Doesn't look as intimidating as it used to look now. Just like Elimination Chamber. Someone took a bump on that grate and said, you know what? Fuck this. Can we get a pad out of here, please? I ain't trying to fucking do this anymore. So, yeah, The Undertaker definitely gets a, a big thumbs up for helping create Randy Orton. And, you know, a lot like The Fiend, if you think about it. Did you see the clip I sent you with him, like, staring into the mirror and it's a shadow? And it's a, he's there one minute and he's not all the mysticism and shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. In his, back in his acting bag when he wasn't very good at acting and then he was just trying to figure that shit out. So, I'll give The Undertaker that much. AJ Styles had to put him on this list because I'm selfish. Understand? And I don't have many dream matches in my life. Okay, even before dream matches were able to be done, I really didn't have too many, you know, dream matches. When you're a kid, especially when we were kids in the '90s, and you got, you know. People would put together these little WWF versus WCW cards, Goldberg versus Stone Cold Steve Austin, or something like that. Whatever, stupid shit. I never really did that. Never really got big on that. But as I got older, I did have one dream match. Okay. And that was when TNA was at its highest. I always wanted to know what it would be like to see AJ Styles and Randy Orton. And I always wanted to see that. I'm like that. It sounds like it would be really, 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 really dope. And then AJ Styles got signed to WWE. And I was like, oh, my God, it's a possibility now. It's your chance. And they didn't really talk about it for forever. And then almost like almost like a, like a, like a, a, a flicker of, of chance, the gods, the heavens opened up. And they said, you know what, AJ, you're such a great guy. You yeah, work, naturally. You work so hard. He's speaking to me specifically, obviously. Right, 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 right. To goes, you. Yeah, to me. To me directly. And he goes, you know, you're such a hard worker. Yes. And a brilliant and wonderful man. Uh-huh. So I'm going to do something for you here. I'm going to hook you up. I found out that you just bought WrestleMania 35 tickets. You're going to the stadium. Yes, sir, I am. He goes, you know what? I don't, I don't do this often, but I'm going to go ahead and give it to you. Go ahead. Randy Orton, AJ Styles, WrestleMania. Go ahead. Go for it. Gotcha. It was like, oh, thank you so much, God. I know we don't talk often because you're a piece of shit, but we, 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 we don't see eye to eye always. But today's the day. I appreciate you, man. He <laughs> gave me Randy Orton and AJ Styles. Now, how we got there to me was even better than the match itself, and that was when they allowed Randy Orton and AJ Styles to shoot about the exact storyline that I had in my head. Because to Ooh. me, because to me. 
AJ Styles and Randy Orton is a dream match because the only way it could have happened was through a dream because Styles was a TNA guy, Orton was a WWE guy, and both of them were very verbal about the idea they would never leave their prospective companies until AJ did. So when they did the promo, and I sent you the link, when it was just like, you know, Orton's in the ring talking about Dixie Carter. And I went, wait, what? We could do that. And then AJ, we can do that? And then AJ Styles was like, you wouldn't have made it in my world, especially with, like, he did a stupid pose. He was in a knockoff diamond cutter. And I went, oh, my God, we can say that? Yeah. I was like, holy shit, they were going off on each other. And I was like, this is going to be dope. <laughs> this is going to be great. And, and it was great. Now, we almost got in trouble because fucking people in my in lower sections were complaining about lighting. We can't see shit. Dun, 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 dun. We can't see shit. That's why if you watch Randy Orton and AJ Styles at WrestleMania about 10 minutes in, all of a sudden, I think there was like a headlock or something. All of a sudden, the crowd just pops crazy hard because the crowd was chanting, we can't see shit because there was a flowing light. That kept passing through the audience and it was blinding people. They couldn't see the ring. And the pop right. happened when they turned it off. So, like, for no reason, you'll just hear a random, like, pop from the whole building. They go nuts because the light got turned off. We can see the match now. Yay. That's, and then, That's all you needed. And then five minutes later, the finish. I'm like, oh, man. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. We missed all this shit. The whole thing. Uh, yeah, the whole goddamn thing. But Styles and Randy Orton, to me, was always a dream match. I thought they did a hell of a job. They've put on nothing but bangers the entire time. Every time they're in the ring together, it's dope. Rated RKO against almost an AJ Styles recently. Dope. So, kudos to that. The Miz. You know I couldn't do a list like this without putting The Miz on here. Randy Orton, again, tried to Mark Henry this motherfucker. He tried to, he tried to make another star, bro. Seriously, he was just like, "We, this is gonna happen. I'm gonna make the Miz. This is, this is the the night we got uh, when Miz cast in cashing his money in the bank. That was when we got Miz Girl, the little girl that made that mean face because the Miz won the world title. <laughs> and they actually programmed same formula with Mark Henry. They programmed Randy Orton with the Miz for a little while there, and just kept doing the job to the Miz and feeding him up to Cena eventually. And and Randy Orton again. Just has the ability to fucking take a guy to the next fucking level. Look at this list. He's making people. Not just himself. He's making no. people. Nope. Just like the the next guy here. This is the guy that helped make Randy. Of course I gotta put him on the goddamn uh uh list. Ric Flair. What? How long has this guy been in the wrestling business? He's got a notable feud with Ric Flair. Jay, did you see that promo? No, that one I didn't get to. Oh, that's one of my favorite fucking promos Randy has ever done, and that was 2004. And it wasn't really because of Randy. Obviously, Rick stole the show on that. But the whole idea that that evolution had broken up, and, and, and Randy, Randy, not broken up technically yet, but Randy had left Revolution, and he was sidetracking from a few from Triple H, and they put him in there with Rick, and Randy was doing the legend killer deal mm -hmm. and Randy goes you were the one he talked to the Rick he was, you're the one who named me the legend killer you were the one who you know taught me this and showed me this he goes and that's why it's so sad to see what you've become and then they Rick Flair with that facial of that what the fuck did he just say 
He's like, this whole generation of wrestling fans are going to remember Ric Flair for kissing Triple H's ass. And then we're like, oh, my God. And then, right, and then uh, Randy Orton goes, and that's why it makes me feel so bad to know what I have to do at Taboo Tuesday. And Ric Flair, boy, let me tell you, this was back when Flair still had it. Oh, before he went cuckoo banana sandwich, this is when he was still Ric Flair. It was like the legend killer. He's like, don't worry about the man that was, you know, hanging with Triple H or whatever. He goes, worry about the man who invented being the man. That's right, Ric Flair, woo, invented being the man. And that whole situation between Randy Orton and, and Ric Flair, I, I got to tell you, it, 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 it worked out better at that time than Randy and Triple H. Randy and Triple H at that time was a little forced uh, at that time in his younger days. Randy wasn't ready for Triple H. And I'm not going to say that he was on Rick's level, but old man Rick, who could still move, but he, and he still has that promo, so he still got value to him, but... It was a half speed slower than everybody else, which was good for Randy because Randy could learn from that. So it was a smart transition. But we'll get to Triple H in a second because the next guy here, Mick Foley. And all I got to say about this is the hockaloogie to the face. That's it. Straight loogie. All the fucking throat mucus he can throw out of his mouth. On the fucking Mick Foley's fucking face. Upper cheek close to the eye. Actually made him blink from the wind of spit. Uh, Mick has told that story a thousand times. He was in a feud with Evolution. They wanted to branch him off with Randy. He wanted to... His thing, Mick, I'm talking about here, is that when he looked at Randy, he saw a young Triple H. In the sense of, what a technician, so smooth... What a good wrestler, but no edge to him. No, nothing badass about him. And right. that's Mick's forte. Mick can make a guy look like a badass because he can take a beating. And he's done that with Triple H, a number of names. But with Randy, he did it a little different. And with Randy, he wanted him to be more of a disrespectful badass. All the other guys tried to beat him up. They were just badasses. But he wanted Randy to continue kind of being the arrogant little prick Randy. And that's where the spit comes in. So they did a thing where Randy Orton kicked him down a flight of steps and he was beating his ass every chance that he could get. And then at one point, Randy Orton and Mickey are talking in the back and Randy just hawks up and just spits in his face. Yeah. (laughs) And it built up to this great backlash match between Mick Foley and Randy Orton. No No DQ, no holds barred. And for the first time, Mick pulled out tax and didn't go through him. Uh, it was Randy Orton that went through him, except for if you count Mick Foley selling an RKO on the tax. But Randy really showed his toughness and his badassness, I guess, whatever, uh, in this matchup. It really made him a man in the eyes of the audience. And Randy, when he did his 20th anniversary speech on Raw, mentioned Mick. And went, Mick really fucking made me with that fucking feud because... No one really, everyone saw him as the pretty boy young guy until he went in there with Mick and went toe to toe and beat his ass. Right. So if you could beat Mick Foley's ass, of all asses. Of all asses. Yeah, of all asses. You're a pretty tough fucking guy. And that's what happened there. Do you remember anything between Mick and Randy back in the day? No, dude. No. What about the promo package? That didn't bring anything back when you saw it? 
Nah, I've missed a lot of this stuff, man. I didn't watch a lot of this. Like the, from here up, a lot. Of, I mean, I, either it's super old or I didn't get to see it. Well, the next guy was a little bit more recent, Kofi Kingston. Definitely on this list for the stupid. Which, stupid for stupid, the what? Because that was one of the ones I was going to be like, all right, you're going to have to. I, I wouldn't expect you to say that. Was it that good or is it ironic, more ironic for you? No. So did you see the package I sent you? Yeah. Okay, so that was the package leading up to that match at SummerSlam when Kofi was the WWE champion. Right. I thought they illustrated it pretty good, but there's more detail, right? So the stupid, stupid, stupid comment is what made this so unique. Okay, so this is 09 Randy Orton, bald-headed, tan, angry as fuck Randy Orton. And at the time... Kofi was kind of over with the audience in the sense of being kind of like this clean-cut baby face. Again, this is a situation where Randy needed to take a guy to the next level. But this was in the era before he decided putting guys over was a good idea. So uh, this was Randy Orton, I'm the top guy, don't fuck with me, Randy Orton. So Kofi kind of caught him at a bad time where Randy was trying to be John Cena and he wasn't John Cena and he didn't realize that yet. He didn't realize so, it just yet? No, he didn't realize that just yet. He, he wasn't he at thought, that level and, just and to yet? Be, and to be fair, even John will tell you, if you put Randy Orton and John Cena together hand-in-hand, hand, Randy Orton was a better ring-ring performer. He just was. Well, I mean... But Cena was obviously more beloved with the audience, blah, blah, blah. But Randy was convinced that he was the top guy. So they put him in a program with Kofi Kingston, and I get the vibe from people who were in the know, who were there. He wasn't happy about the program to begin with. He didn't feel like he should have been working with a guy like Kofi Kingston at that time. And you can debate it back and forth, but it is what it is. You're in a program with Kofi Kingston. So they were having a match on Raw. They were already doing some really cool stuff. They had a good Madison Square Garden moment where Kofi did this big jump or whatever. It was dope. So they had a match on Raw where Kofi, I don't know what his deal was. I don't know if he got lost. I don't know what the hell it was. He blew the whole finish of that match. And Randy didn't really know what the fuck his problem was. So out of nowhere, he just hits an RKO on him. And when he hits him with the RKO, he gets up and just, and, and this is happening in real time. And this is happening in real life. He gets up and just goes, stupid, stupid, stupid. And he picks him up, does something else. And then that's the finish. One, two, three, that's it. Go home. And he does it again. and gets up. Stupid, stupid. Now, when you're watching this on television, it just looks like he's, being an asshole, and that's what the gimmick is, so it fits. But we find out later that that was Randy, real Randy, being pissed off because he doesn't want to be in a program with this middle card guy in the first place. And the middle card guy is fucking shit up as it is. So he's in there with, some, in his eyes, some lower tier job guy who is fucking up, and he just he went out of his way to embarrass him on purpose. He literally tried to sabotage Kofi Kingston live on Monday Night Raw. And for years after that, they never touched again. I, they must have spoken, I'm sure. They were in the same locker room for years. But they never wrestled each other again. So now we fast forward. What was that? 2000, I want to say 2012, 2011, maybe. No, it was 09. I'm not making that up. Yeah, 09. It was 09. So um, we fast forward later to 2019. Ten years later, 
and Kofi Mania. Kofi's on top. He's the WWE champion. And he needs a program to help establish him as champion. So who do they go to? They go to I mean, obviously, the guy who is going to establish him. Right. They need the, the human establisher to establish yet another guy. So they call Randy Orton. And to their credit, Randy and Kofi, they decided it was a good idea to use the stupid, stupid, stupid. The program leading up to SummerSlam, you saw the package where he said, you know, Randy says that I got here because of him. I got here in spite of him. And they showed the package of him doing the stupid, stupid, stupid. And they actually gave the kayfabe explanation. Randy said, I didn't think he was ready then to be out. And that was the shoot. And then he turned it into a work. When he said, I didn't think he was ready then, be honest with you, I don't think he's ready now. He's the WWE champion, but did he beat me for that title? No. We'll see what happens at SummerSlam. He couldn't beat me then. He was He's never been on my level. I proved it then. He was... And then they were doing all this different stuff. And then right toward the end when Kofi said, I'm going to beat him at SummerSlam. And then Randy Orton goes, stupid, stupid, stupid. <laughs> he says it again. I was like, what a great fucking villain this fucking guy is. And then they go in the match and Randy does what he does. And he puts Kofi fucking over. He didn't think he was ready then. But apparently he thought he was ready now. So he did the fucking job. Randy did what he was supposed to do. Yet again. What a team player. What a guy. What a fucking guy. <laughs> what a guy. Team player here. Another team player situation with the next guy, CM Punk. Now, the controversy of this match actually comes more from Punk than Randy. Because they didn't really know. Randy was slotted for Mania. Obviously, because it's Randy Orton. But right. they didn't know what they were going to do with Punk. And that kind of pissed punk off a little bit and he was just like what do you mean you don't know what you're gonna do with me because they had made him the leader of the nexus for no fucking reason at all whatsoever they were they wanted to do something with wade barrett but they didn't know what to do with the nexus they slid in punk that didn't work they were trying to make it work but it didn't really work and they didn't know what to fucking do with him so randy they needed a big match for randy orton at wrestlemania but at the same time he couldn't be in the title match it was a weird place so they told CM Punk, hey, you're going to get in there with Randy at WrestleMania so that, you know, you can it's kind of placehold for now until we get Randy into the program we want to get him into. And that was a big controversial moment for CM Punk because he just looked at the guy and was like, I'm not anybody's placeholder. If you want me in a match with Randy Orton at WrestleMania, we need a fucking story. Right. And they don't have one because they didn't come up with one. So Punk says, well, since nobody's going to use their fucking brains... I got a fucking idea. Even Randy. Randy didn't have an idea either. They just thought it was going to be a match. And he's got the Nexus. That's an easy story to tell, right? And Punk goes, what, was, oh. what was Orton's thoughts on Punk around this time? He was cool with them. Okay. They had a good relationship. They were all right. I think they may have, might have even had a match or two up until that point. But now going into WrestleMania, Randy, I think, for his to his credit, was down for whatever. He just wanted a match at Mania at that point because he knew where he was headed. That was in 2000, I want to say 2011 or 2010, right. something like that. So he knows he's headed into a program at some point for the title, uh, but he needed to get through WrestleMania with something good. Right. So Punk was like, I'll wrestle Randy. He's great. Obviously, I would love to match with him at WrestleMania, but this whole, we don't have a story for you. I'm just yeah, a placeholder. We're not doing we're it for not, the lulls. We're not, yeah, we're like, not doing that. Yeah, exactly. At Mania at that. And Punk we're said it himself. If the idea is, is you're going to move Randy to something bigger after me, 
why wouldn't you do something with me that progresses him further along so it means more to where he gets to where he's going? You understand what I'm saying? If you're just going to burn through me, how does that help him at all with anything? Right. So Punk was like, I have a fucking idea. And they were like, cool, what's the idea? Well, you remember when Randy Orton kicked me in the fucking head two years ago and cost me the world title? Yeah, all right. How about we tell the audience that I'm fucking still mad about that shit? <laughs> because as a real rational fucking adult, because it was just like his first world title uh, reign, right. and he didn't even get a chance to lose that belt. Randy punted him in the head, and he suffered an injury, quote-unquote, and he had to forfeit the title. He never lost that belt. So he's like, I never lost a belt. He kicked me in the fucking head two years ago. So maybe, I don't know, I'm still fucking mad about it. And now I'm the leader of a group of newbies who are willing to do whatever I want. They're at my bidding, my beck and call. So I got six guys, roughly, that I could sick on this guy like a pack of wild dogs. And how about that for a fucking program? That I want my revenge. That for as long as he says I'm the promo, for as long as I'm breathing air, you'll never be WWE champion. And now that puts Randy Orton in an underneath position that he has to fight out of. Not only does that set us up for a program at WrestleMania, but you just got six weeks worth of programming out of that. Because now he's gonna wrestle all the Nexus guys every week and beat their asses. And for every and it was this is again Punk's idea. Let him run through the Nexus to get to me. And every time he beats a Nexus guy. That guy can't be ringside with me at WrestleMania, right? So there's like six guys there. He's going to have matches with every single one of them. And if he beats them, they can't be ringside with me. And if they beat him, they will be allowed to be ringside with me. And, of course, as the storyline goes, Randy Orton beats all of them. So it's one-on-one. Right. So now not only do we get a storyline about revenge and about a championship. So you get build up and you got Randy's six straight wins leading up to WrestleMania against a guy. And, at, he and for some beat. reason now, Randy Orton is the underdog, which is yeah, yeah. And then uh, then CM Punk hits us with the ultimate when he Randy Orton hits his first ever springboard RKO. When Punk went for the springboard, Randy Orton catches him in midair, hits him with the fucking RKO, Bing Bang, thank you, ma'am, all done. And that's it. And that program was fucking dope and fire. And I know I'm giving Punk a lot of credit for it, but you know what? For Randy to be like, huh, he's right. Let's go. No, he's right because it doesn't make sense. I got to beat somebody of some sort of importance. Right. And so that's what that situation was there. So Punk uh, found his way in to WrestleMania and did it the right way. And look how that worked out for both of them. They both walked out of their superstars. So that's the point. Ah, Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle's on this list because here's a fucking guy. You want to talk about relationships. Randy Orton and Kurt Angle hated each other. For realsies. Like, for real? For, for real? realsies. They hated each other. Because Kurt Angle... Okay, Kurt Angle is the older gentleman between the two, obviously. Randy Orton's got a big fucking mouth. I'm sure. Now, this is young Orton, who is not afraid of getting his ass kicked, I guess. Kurt Angle is a shooter, is a real-life guy. He's been dealing with pain his whole fucking life. He is a very ordinary individual, and Randy Orton can't shut the fuck up. Now, you combine this with also with the fact that Randy Orton is a heavy pot smoker at this time, and Kurt Angle pops more pills than one can ever fucking imagine. So both of these motherfuckers are high as fuck in a high-intense situation where they're both physical athletes. That's a combustible element. There's been a few times I've heard in the day 
back in the day where these two individuals have gotten into quite a few shouting matches. However, in the ring, these motherfuckers were gold together. <laughs> gold together. That match at one night stand. Oh, baby, these two motherfuckers. To get a guy like Orton, six foot five, two hundred and something solid <clears throat> pounds of muscle, who can move and bump and fly around like that, and then Rand- and then Kurt Angle, who can legitimately throw around motherfuckers at his will, at his beck and call, he can just toss a motherfucker. These two motherfuckers were great. They were magic. They were good storytellers. Not to mention when you threw in Rey Mysterio at WrestleMania in the main event, uh, these guys were fucking magical together. As a matter of fact, Rey Mysterio was the next guy on this list, so I'll combine them together here because together their chemistry was ridiculous. Randy Orton, of course, having the program with Mysterio where he did the whole line, you know, I know you're doing this for Eddie because Eddie had just passed, and you keep pointing up to the sky, and you've got me confused, Ray, because Eddie's not looking down upon you from heaven. He's looking up from you because Eddie's in hell. Uh (laughs) And he had just died, and everybody was like, this fucking guy... (laughs) He's like, Eddie Guerrero was in hell. He's like, oh, you son of a bitch. <laughs> what a heel. What a fucking asshole. What a bastard. Uh, but, yeah, their chemistry was ridiculous. And, and I will never, ever, you know, I'll never look past the efforts of Randy Orton on both sides of the coin. Yeah, he was a dickhead for a lot of years. But you know what? Even in his di- – we're giving him credit for his mentality changing and him getting over all these guys, but I got to give him credit where credit is due. Even in the midst of him being a dick, like like prime douchebag Orton, it, they still had Randy Orton do the work he needed to do, and he still did the jobs he needed to do, including putting over Mysterio and putting over Angle. They gave him wins back down the road, but when they when Ray needed it, he did the jobs. So I'll give him the credit for that. And uh, the next guy, we're getting to the end here, Edge. I know you remember Rated RKO. <laughs> I know you remember that, right? Vaguely. <laughs> uh, people are going to think that I put Edge on this list because of their recent shit when he came back from his retirement, which was okay. But again, the pandemic kind of ruined a lot of momentum they had as a program. I put him on this list for the earlier stuff. And that's stuff that Orton has talked about in the past. How his habits, his problems. When everyone wanted to kick the shit out of Randy Orton, there was Edge to be his one true friend. Edge was always his friend no matter what. No matter what hole Orton bug himself into. No matter how much trouble he got himself into. Edge was always his guy. And they had matches over the Intercontinental title. They had matches over the tag titles. And they've had matches over the world title. They've competed against each other all around the world. I have Edge on this list not just because they've had good matches, but because as a as chemistry goes, they've had good matches with each other all around the world. And you can't talk about Randy. You honestly can't talk about Randy Orton without Edge. They're... they're you can say that about a lot of people with Edge because Edge has had programs like this in the past. I might put something like this together for Edge too because it just it would be interesting to look at. But Randy Orton and, and Edge, uh, they had that, what was it, the greatest wrestling match ever, Backlash. That's what they called it themselves. So you knew it was going to fail. But You they, knew it was going to fail. You knew it was going to fail because that's how they advertise it, the greatest wrestling match ever. Stop. So two of them have great chemistry, and they had a great match, but greatest match ever, relax. But that's how good they were together. 
Same thing with him and the next guy, John Cena. I know a lot of people are going to say really good matches with John Cena, but John Cena had quite a few good matches, and Edge is on that list for John. Might be his greatest opponent ever, actually, is Edge. But if you're going to put Edge at number one, one of John Cena's greatest opponents is Randy Orton. They had a million matches together. As a matter of fact, Randy Orton stated recently that if he goes into the Hall of Fame, and I think it's cute he said if, like he's not going into the Hall of Fame. <laughs> but if, if you know, when he gets into the Hall of Fame, he wants John to induct him. That's how close they got over the years. Their chemistry is through the roof. They've had program after program, uh, uh, no-holds-barred matches and kendo sticks. and Their matches is different, too, as far as the storytelling goes. They would steal each other's finishes, and they would do the whole thing where John Cena refuses to quit, and Randy's being the ultimate villain. It was dope. And that's why I think he was mad, because after Cena was Kofi. So he's like, I just did all this great shit with John. You want me to work with Kofi Kingston? What the fuck? Stupid. <laughs> stupid. Stupid, stupid, stupid. But yeah, they had great chemistry as well. Uh, Randy and Triple H. Now, I know earlier... I know earlier I said that feud with Randy and Triple H in the early felt forced. This was years later, and Randy was ready. This was orange, angry, bald Orton with legacy, Cody Rhodes and Ted DiBiase Jr. And this is when Orton was, they, they had Orton punt kick Vince, punt kick Shane. He RKO'd Stephanie. He was dropping Triple H's family like fucking bad habits. He was just dropping them. And <laughs> they told an amazing story going into WrestleMania 25. And I was like, that's going to be a dope match. I can't wait. Unfortunately, that match went on after Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker. It arguably the greatest WrestleMania match that ever fucking happened ever. So Triple H... Fucked yet again because he was the same guy where it was like him and Jericho are building up. Oh, it's going to be a great match. Chris Jericho and Triple H WrestleMania. And they went on after The Rock and Hollywood Hogan. You're like, oh. Can't win, dude. Every time he finds himself in the main event, somebody else comes along and takes a big fat dump on his fucking front lawn. It's like, can I I main event this bitch, please? Can Can I be the best match on the card? No. It was going to end up being somebody else. But Triple H, matter of fact, one of my favorite main events, underappreciated, underappreciated. One of my favorite main events is these three, Triple H, John Cena, Randy Orton, WrestleMania 24. One of the best WWE, I think it was for the world title. I can't remember if it was the championship or for the world championship, one or the other. They had a main event for that title, and Randy Orton would go away, the, would walk out the winner, actually. So that's great chemistry here. And when I put this list together, I said I didn't do it in any particular order. I went from one, and I went down based off of memory, and then I started doing some research toward the end. But the first guy that I thought of, which was the complete package, great chemistry, great matches, great promo, great psychology, and surprise factor. That surprise factor is what made me put this at the top of the list. Again, it's not in any particular order, but it was the first one I thought of. Because no one saw this feud coming, and no one thought it was going to be great. And it was fantastic. Randy Orton and Christian hmm. has one of the most underrated, underappreciated feuds and programs in WWE history. I'll put that in there for anyone else to debate if they want. 
But to me, that is one of the most underappreciated feuds ever because it was Randy Orton was yet again trying to get over another fucking guy as world champion. And it didn't take as well as they thought that it would. And it didn't really work out the way that they thought. But it wasn't because of Randy and it wasn't because of Christian. Because Christian just happened to be one of those guys. You could put Zack Ryder in there. It was just one of those guys that no matter how hard he worked and no matter how over he got, the WWE management team just did not want this guy on top. And it never became more obvious that Christian was just never going to break through until after this program. Because everything about this program was mag fucking magnificent. There was no reason you couldn't move forward with Christian as a top guy. At the very least, even without the title as a top heel. There was no reason you couldn't do it. They just chose not to. This was the beginning of people, uh, you know, fans getting the idea in their head, which is now common knowledge, but people back then didn't really think this way, of you're only going to get as far as management will allow you. Well, that's life. I get it. But for a long time in the WWE, whenever someone organically got over, they kind of ran with it. They didn't do that here. Right. This is one of the first times when they went, yeah, we get it. He's over. But fuck that. Yeah, yeah. He's nah, we're good. Not we're good on way. him. They basically told this guy to his face, I don't give a shit what you do. You will not be a top guy here. Right. And, you know, he he left the WWE when they wouldn't do They wouldn't make him a world champion, so he left. He went to TNA, became world champion there, got over, proved he could be a guy, a player who could run his own programs and do a good job, came back to the WWE. They gave him the world title, and they still just, you know what? You're still Christian. Fuck this. No, I'm good. So, you know, they just didn't appreciate Christian for what he was, and that's why I put him on this list with Randy Orton and so high up because, once again, Randy took a guy who was good, it had reached a certain level, but Randy took him to the next level. He looked like Christian for the first time in his career looked like a top guy, a main event star who could do damage in this business. And he looked like that because of Randy Orton. So I got to give him that. And that's why he was on this list. So those are your top 20, in my opinion anyway, Randy Orton opponents to celebrate 20 years of wrestling here in the WWE Whew. How much more do you think he got left in him? According to him, he's gonna he's got the Brady thing going. He's gonna go for a while. Look, he's in great shape. Takes care of himself. And if they keep doing programs like this, that's fucking money. They're just protecting him. Yeah. He he so, ever since Riddle RK Bro, Riddle's been doing all the wrestling. And that's perfect. You're gonna yeah. extend him the the celebration itself, the night that he was celebrating his twentieth anniversary. He was in an eight man tag. Everybody's like, why, why didn't you give him a singles match? Why? He's he's not I wouldn't say Tax he's him nos- at all costs. Yeah, I wouldn't say he's nostalgia, but at the same time, the less damage done to his body, the longer he's gonna go and the more people he's gonna get over. There's a lot of people in this company that need a guy who's gonna get him over. Well, that's why Brady can keep doing it, because when you have Brady, you put all that money into protecting him. At all costs. And because he is protected, he gets to go as long as he's going. So Yep. As long as he wants Protect this man. He's a gem. He will go. He is a gem. I think he's got at least another 10 in him. That's what he th- He said his goal uh, in, in the interview leading up after WWE, his legacy, quote unquote, get it, haha, 
is that he wants to be known as the guy who did it the longest. And that record right now is held by the Undertaker at 30. So what? Uh, so point out really quick, lastly, where he had some holes in his legacy. At what point up until this point you go, I don't know, that was not my favorite Randy Orton. Oh, man. I got to go back to maybe like 06, 07 maybe. There was a time period after he won. He won his first world title in 2004 when he beat Benoit. And he didn't have a very long title reign. I think he won it at SummerSlam, and it was gone like a month or two later to Triple H because he wasn't ready for that. But it sounds to me like he was still in his growth stage. He was still in his growth stage, and it showed immediately after because he got lost in the shuffle after that. I want to say 05, 06, he really just kind of was some guy on the roster. Like he's wrestling Carlito, you know, and that's no disrespect to that guy, but I mean, he was just low. He was the world champion two seconds ago with the greatest stable in the company. And now he's on his own just wrestling Simon Dean and shit on fucking Raw. It was just weird. He had like this weird period of like a year or two where he just wasn't doing shit. And then 06? 06? Wait, I'm trying to remember my years. Okay, 06. So 06, I believe, is when he had the main event match with Angle and Mysterio. And that was a nice program that got him back to the main event, but even that didn't really work out. He was back down again. And then 06, I believe, was when he got together with Raider RKO with Edge. And that changed things. Because then they went into 2007, and they broke up as a team, but he was still kind of on top. So now Randy Orton's wrestling Shawn Michaels. He's wrestling you know, all these top guys, Kane, and he's doing a program with Steve Austin. So he's he, he's doing something there. And then 08, they gave him the world title again. But he's still, I mean, even then, he was starting to really turn more into a heel-heel. And he, they made him the world champion. They were giving him a little bit of a run. He still looks kind of iffy. Then he had the match with Jeff Hardy at the Garden, which kind of got people talking. And I want to say about 09, when he turned into a giant carrot. And he, <laughs> had, and he had Cody and Ted DiBiase by his side as legacy. He found it. So I want to say 05 to 09, about a four-year period where it was like up, down, up, down. Yeah, he's in the main event, but he's not really a main eventer just yet. And now he's wrestling opening matches. 09 is where I think he finally caught it. And the funny thing is, that's when he wrestled Kofi. And I think that was the biggest reason he didn't want to wrestle Kofi. Because he was red hot. Because he was finally red hot. And he had wrestled so many underneath guys leading up to that. And now he just had a program with John Cena. The top. The top of the top. And then you're giving him Kofi. So I kind of, he was a dickhead about it. I don't like the way he handled it, but I get it. Because after that, Randy was kind of untouchable. After 09, because we just talked about the Christian feud. That was, I think, 2010, 2011, something like that. And they're fighting over the world title. And then, you know, that was also when Randy put over Mark Henry about 2011 and now we're cooking into Daniel Bryan in 2012. He's got some feuds coming out. I think he reignited with John in 2013. They had like a series of matches. 
it, you, you could just go down the line now and start start to see. He started wrestling all the new guys. Now he's wrestling Kevin Owens. He's wrestling Dean Ambrose. I forgot to put Seth Rollins on this list, but it's not really forgot. They didn't really have a lot of matches together. They have the greatest RKO spot in history with the step-off RKO at WrestleMania, but didn't really have a series of matches. He's wrestling all the new guys, and he... I, I've, I got to put it at 09. 09 is when Randy fucking, he found it. Okay, right. this is what I'm doing. This is how I'm going to do it. But he's been red hot since. Uh, he has, once he once he figured out what he was, he just added on and manipulated from there. He hasn't had a lull, I think, since 2009. Now, a lot of people will say, well, he's boring. He was, you know, he, he says, because Orton, to his own admission, said, for a lot of his career, he he had a saying. It used to be a catchphrase that he used to use with people when he was working with them to the point where people started using it in interviews to make fun of Randy. I like to bite a thousand. I got three or four moves. I'm going to do them all perfect, and the match is going to be dope, and that's it. I'm going to go about my business. He didn't really go outside of the box too often. Right. Did Randy Orton. He found what worked, and he fucking milked it for all he had. It wasn't until later... Because a lot of the new guys WWE superstars used to face usually came from developmental, so they all wrestled a certain way, and they all did, did things a certain way within that confines. He didn't have to step out of the box because everybody he was facing liked being in the box. Later, I'll say about 2015, 2016, around that area, when he started wrestling the indie guys, Seth Rollins, Kevin Owens, Dean Ambrose, AJ Styles, the creativity started jumping out a little more. I'll tell you real quick to wrap this up, the story with Randy Orton and Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins and Randy Orton have both told his story about the step-off RKO. Do you know what I'm talking about when I say the step-off RKO? No. Okay, so Randy Orton and Seth Rollins had a match, I think it's WrestleMania 31. They're the opening match. And they had a spot where Seth is going to go for his curb stomp. That's where he leaps up, puts his foot behind Randy's head, and stomps it down. The plan was Seth is going to go for the curve stomp. When he lifts his foot up to put it on the back of Randy Orton's head, Randy Orton is going to push his foot. Instead of going down, he's going to push up so that Seth Rollins goes up. He elevates up. Right. Once Orton pushes his foot, Orton will then use his foot to push as well, like a kickoff. So that he gets high into the air. Then he's going to flatten out and Randy is going to RKO him from that position. Right. That was the plan. So when Randy Orton and Seth Rollins found out they were going to be working together, they started talking over the match and Seth asked him, what do he feel about the finish? And Randy was like, well, you know, usually at WrestleMania, I like to hit the RKO from a different spot. So Seth goes, perfect, because I have an idea. How would you like to do a step off RKO? And he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? And he just described it the way that I just did. And Randy was like, how the fuck are we even going to get to that position? Because for a curb stomp, the guy who's taking it is usually on his belly. Right. He's already laying out and he's picking his head up and then Seth stomps it. In this position, Randy Orton can't be on his belly because he's got to push off. There's no momentum if he's on his belly. So Randy Orton has to be kneeling. He has to be on his feet but bent down. Now he's 6'5". So he's got to get really, really low down. So Seth can get on his back, and then when Randy pushes up, do the whole deal. So the idea was Seth goes, okay, so here's what's going to happen. We're going to be in the corner. I'm going to 
pop an eye or something, feed you out, give you a nice little kick to the gut, and that's going to bend you down. When you go down into that bend, I'm going to hit the corner, and I'm going to come flying out the corner. I'm going to step on your back. You push up. I'll flatten out. Catch it. RKO. Bam. Nice and quick. Snap it off. So Randy, who Mr. I always bet a thousand, when he wrestled Punk, that was the first time he did a springboard RKO ever. Punk sold it beautifully. That was out of the box for him. This was way out of the fucking box. How am I supposed to catch you? Because this all has to happen in a split second. It's got to be push, jump, flatten, catch. Right. There's a million ways this could go wrong. So they were like, all right, that's a good idea. We'll keep it in mind. So the weekend of WrestleMania, they get to the ring to try it out. They're trying it, right? So Randy gets into position. He gets kneeled down all the way down as much as he can. Again, he's 6'5". Seth is the one that has to run and leap to the top of this guy's fucking back and then push. So they were trying it. Run, step, push, catch. They were trying it. They can't get it for shit. They can't get it for nothing. He can't. Seth was having a problem flattening because he's not getting the good footing on the back. And when they got the footing, when he flattened it, Randy can't catch him by the neck like he would for an RKO. They kept headbutting each other. The hand is wrong. There was an eye gouge at one point. It's not coming out right. So they talked about it, and they pretty much nixed it. And Seth was trying to come up with a different way to take it from the top rope. So that's where they left it. And then they get to the building Sunday. And Randy Orton, I don't know, he, according to him, he goes, I woke up that morning and just said, fuck life. And he just went, <laughs> he just went to the building. He went right for Seth. And he goes, I don't give a fuck. We're, we're doing it tonight. We're going to do the spot. And Seth was like, you sure? Because we haven't. He goes, fuck it. What's the worst that could happen, right? We're just going to do it. They haven't nailed it one time. They did it a bunch of times. Never nailed it. He said, fuck it. We're just going to do it. And Seth, you know Seth. Seth's like, fuck, yeah, let's go. I'm, I'm with I'm it. I'm with the shit. I'm with the shit. Let's do it. Let's have a mania moment. Fuck it. So in the match, when you watch the match at WrestleMania, this so everyone's aware, that is the only time they nailed it. They never nailed it before that. That was the only time they got it right. He just woke up and felt good he about it. He woke up it. that morning and said, fuck life, let's go. And they did it. They went into the corner the way they planned. They backed him off. Seth hit him with the heel kick to the gut. He bent over. Seth went into the corner. He sold it a little bit, right? Went to the audience, looked back and forth. Ran at Randy Orton. Randy Orton got nice and low. Seth put his fucking feet up. Have you seen it? I'm going to send it to you so you see it. And he, he steps on his shoulder, push up, flatten out, catches him. Bam! Snaps it. He gets it. And Seth, when he told the story, he laughed because the whole sequence was supposed to be quick. Step off, push up, RKO, hook the leg, one, two, three. When they hit it, and he caught him, flush, bam! Uh, it was Seth that said it. Randy got so hyped that they nailed it that he started selling like he started getting excited and forgot to pin seth he just got up and started ah! yeah, he got, uh, yeah i just saw it he got hot. that shit is fire yeah. dude how i know this sounds ignorant how did they have so much trouble with that it, it must have just been the amount of air that he was getting so when they I were practicing it. i they did not mention the specifics on what was going on i named a few that they talked about about hand placement and then Seth was that getting, shit was perfect. Seth wasn't at first. The problem was Seth couldn't get up high enough. They were he wasn't being he wasn't placing his foot in the right spot, and 
He wasn't getting up enough to where he can flatten out. When they finally figured that out, Randy's placement is off because, remember, when Seth goes to his back to push off, Orton's looking at the ground. Right. He can't see where he is in the air until he looks up. And by the time he looks up, Seth's already coming down. Remember, again, Orton is 6'5". So even if he gets as high as he can, he's not going to get that much higher than 6'5". So he has a split second to not only look up, but to bring his hands up too. So it was just a timing issue. They just couldn't find the right rhythm, according to them. They just couldn't get it together. And that's when they scratched it. But then they ended up doing it at the show, and they nailed it perfectly. Oh, it's perfect. And did you see his face after oh, he, yeah, he lost it? his fucking he mind? He lost his fucking mind because they hadn't hit it. And it got to the point where they took the he did the RKO, and Seth looks over at the referee and says, tell him to pin me. And then Randy, you see the referee kind of yells something, and he goes in and he pins him and he beats him. But, again, the, that's that's more adjusting. It's more on-the-fly stuff. That's Randy Orton. That's Randy Orton. Randy, 20 years of Randy Orton. What a, what a fantastic ride it's been. But <laughs> absolutely, yes. So we will be back <laughs> next week. God damn it. We got a streak going here. So here's the deal with this, too. So... Uh, tomorrow is my wife's birthday. Um, yesterday we went out, did some stuff. Uh, that was something for her birthday. We're doing another birthday thing this weekend, but also, um, it's Mother's Day Sunday. So I have to do birthday and Mother's Day thing this weekend. Um, and you... What's your situation? Because she's not a mom yet, but she's definitely a mom, right? That's um, how that works. Yeah. Does she make the cut? <laughs> We're yeah. doing a Mother's Day thing now then, too? Yeah. So, yeah. Got to so, figure that out. Yeah. So I don't know if we're recording on Sunday. We're going to have to either figure out another time or I'm going to have to put something else up in place. We'll so, figure it out. We'll figure it out. But, um, yeah. So it uh, this is going to be a really big weekend for us. But before I go, before I go, 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 next week I'll get more in-depth. But the Blood Brothers, really quickly, the Blood Brothers have got bookings coming out the ass all of a sudden. Uh, I, I am a manager of champions. We, we are the tag team champions. And apparently that is enough to get people to blow up your email and have you come to their show. I wish I would have known that from the beginning. I would have just told you, hey, can you just give us belts for the shits and giggles of it so I can get bookings? Because ever since we won the belts, all of a sudden our emails are blowing up. So more information on that. We're going to talk about some of the places we're going to go, some of the places we're working with. I'm going to get more in-depth on that. I don't really get a chance to talk about the Blood Brothers much on this show, so I'd like to do that, and uh, we'll figure that out. So thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. Thank you guys for sharing. And, of course, hopefully all went well and you were able to enjoy it. So this was episode, I think, I think this is 2.30. I think this is 2.30. Uh, we're still working on the Forbidden Door stuff. We'll get back to you on that. But thanks, thanks guys, for listening, and uh, we're out of here. This is my daddy's 200th episode. If you'd like to soul, buy some mugs, t-shirts, mugs, tank tops, beats towels, phone cases, go to H-A-O-U-N.com. This is my daddy's 200th episode. This still keeps him busy. And he's not playing with me. So stop listening. But, but he's actually playing with me, so I won't play.